Welcome in, everybody. Episode 78 of Force for the Podcast. Andrew May alongside Rob Drew Frey with you. We are recording on Wednesday, October 20th. Episode will be published on the 21st, a Thursday. And this is probably the most action-packed show we've had in quite some time. I mean, as you know, we recap and we we preview the, the upcoming NFL weeks, and we bring you all the stories uh, as far as football goes. Um, but we're going to go across all four major sports tonight because everything is in full swing now. You've got the Major League Baseball playoffs in full swing, AL and NLCS currently going on right now. You got the Red Sox and Astros tied two games apiece, but the Astros with a commanding six nothing lead right now in game five as we record. So they're set to take a three, two series lead as that series goes back to Houston. Uh, then you got game four of Braves and Dodgers in the NLCS. That game is going to kick off later tonight. And uh, the Braves were super duper close to jumping out to a three, nothing lead in that series, but the Dodgers stage a late in comeback Cody Bellinger with a three run homer to tie the game at five. And then Mookie Betts drives home the go ahead and game-winning run with a double. So real good uh, championship series in both leagues as far as baseball is concerned. We got stories with the Mets and stories with the Yankees as it pertains to their offseason and trying to mold the team to compete next year. Uh, We got the Rangers who started off their season last week and have really bounced back in a big way since dropping a disheartening opening game against the Washington Capitals. And as we record this podcast, the New York Knicks are kicking off their season with a game at Madison Square Garden against the Boston Celtics. So, I mean, we're just chock full of stuff to get into. We'll start off with the baseball real quick. Uh, We'll get into a little bit of Mets and a little bit of Yankees, and we'll obviously touch on the playoffs. We'll start things off with the Yankees because the Yankees have probably made the most recent headlines, I would say. And that's with the announcement yesterday that they've reached a three-year contract extension with a team option for a fourth year with manager Aaron Boone. And I'm sure Yankee fans who listen to this podcast are probably not thrilled with that. The masses of Yankee fans who call on to talk radio all the time are probably not happy with that because everyone's been clamoring for Boone to be fired since day one. Uh, Is Boone the overwhelming problem with this team? No. But he he also could be a contributor to why this team has fallen short. And Rob and I have been quoted on this podcast saying that we think the Yankees need a little bit of of a change, that Cashman's vision and Steinbrenner's vision is getting a little bit stale and they need to kind of start fresh and start from scratch. But you heard Brian Cashman and, and Rob, I'm not saying this, because I I hate the Yankees or anything like that. I just don't understand for the life of me how you could watch Brian Cashman's press conference yesterday and not just get totally infuriated with him. And a lot of people are putting out different narratives about Brian Cashman, that he's clueless, um, that you're going to trust him because he's been in this position for such a long time, that you're going to trust the process. There's been all different kinds of narratives, but this is the narrative that needs to be talked about. You can infer from Brian Cashman's comments that him and Hal Steinbrenner are perfectly okay with just being good. That's what I took out of Brian Cashman's press conference yesterday, that you, that that the people who are in charge of making decisions are content with the Yankees being a 90 to hundred win team, regardless of what happens in the playoffs. Now I'm not saying you got to go back to the old George days where if you didn't win a championship, everyone needed to be fired. I mean, we say all the time that the Yankees are a championship or bust organization, but let's be completely honest. I mean, the sport has changed in so many ways. It's not possible to just go out and outspend everybody and win a championship every single year. It's not doable. And so you need to get creative and the Yankees are really not being creative whatsoever. Uh, they, Brian Cashman ad nauseum said that Aaron Boone is not the problem. He is this solution and basically just put it on the players. And we know that the players fell short. We know that they underachieved, but 
even when this team has reached their potential, it has not culminated in a championship. And who put this core of players together? It's Brian Cashman and Hal Steinbrenner and Randy Levine and Aaron Boone, who has a little bit of input too. And they don't see any changes necessary. That, to me, signals that they are content with just being good enough. This would have never happened if George was alive, and I'm not saying that that's the right thing to do, that everybody in the organization needs to be fired from top to bottom because they haven't won a championship. But at a certain point, you can't be content with mediocrity because although these expectations are enhanced as a Yankees fan, and if you're a fan of another organization, you're probably envious at the fact that the Yankees are at least competitive year in and year out. But things are a little bit different here. And what the Yankees have done and the pinnacles that they have reached over the course of the last seven or eight years are not pinnacles that Yankee fans are accustomed to. And the Yankee fans have expectations to reach. So I don't know how you could have watched Brian Cashman's press conference yesterday and been anything other than infuriated. That's my take from afar. Yeah, well, I don't, you know, I don't think they, they're settling to just be good. But as long as they know, you know, they're getting 40,000 every single game, in, you know, during the regular season, I'm sure they're happy with that. But again, you would like to make some playoff revenue on top of that with the sort of payroll that the Yankees have, uh, year in and year out. So I, I don't think it's that I, I I'm certainly, I certainly don't think that Cashman is, is, uh, is satisfied with the Yankees just winning 95 games and, you know, being one and done. Well, you I, know I what? Maybe, maybe I, maybe I phrased that a little bit wrong. I, I think that the fact that they've fallen short of winning a championship, they're doing an awful lot of excuse making and attributing it to everyone else being so good that it's tough to win a championship instead of acknowledging the fact that changes need to be made. They're just kind of spewing the same garbage at Yankee fans that they've been, which kind of gives off the vibe that they're not hungry to make changes to catch everyone else. They're just going to trot out there with what they think is right. And when they fall short again, they're just going to pat everyone else on the back and give kudos to the the teams that finished ahead of them. That That's the vibe that I got. Well, look, you know, the Yankees know that every single year they're going to be in contention, but, the one thing you have to look at now is you look at the Red Sox. This was a rebuilding year for the Red Sox. And look where they are now. You know, Toronto is is going to be a, a team that's going to be reckoned with because they've already said they're looking to add payroll. They're about $180 million right now in their payroll. They got a lot of good young players, Toronto. They added Berrios to that pitching staff at the trading deadline. They have a good starting staff. They have a kid like Nate Pearson in the minors looking to come up. Uh, so they're going to be good too. And of course, Tampa is always in the mix. Uh, so look, and the Yankees had problems beating the Orioles. The Yankees were 11 and eight against the Orioles this year. So you can't count them as automatic wins. So uh, look, are they content? No, I'm sure they're not content, but I'll tell you what, they got their, they got their work ahead of them. The Cashman, Brian Cashman has his work ahead of them this year because you cannot go on with the same philosophy next season as you have in these past few seasons, because, it, I'm not going to say it's a, it's a recipe for failure, but it's not a recipe for success. If the Yankees' ultimate goal is to win a World Series, at the very least, get to a World Series because they have failed to do that. And, you know, look, it, was it an epic failure this year? The Yankees had a lot of injuries this year. So you do have to give Boone some credit uh, for managing this team to, uh, what was it, 92, 93-win team. And, and getting into a wild card, ultimately they lost. But, you know, look, what are you going to do? But they have to change their philosophies here. You can't come back with Brett Gardner again. You can't come back with even if he was a healthy Aaron Hicks. 
You can't come back with Gary Sanchez because you cannot have Sanchez being the storyline each and every single week with this guy. You know, it's 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 such a dilemma for them to try and, and Cashman get again was waxing poetic about Sanchez. He, he could wax ethic. poetic. He look, he could wax poetic all he wants. He's not going to kill the player, Andrew. If he wants to trade the player, he's not going to sit there and destroy the player. He's going to build it up to like this kid because listen, everybody's questioned his worth ethic the last couple of years. So of course, Cashman is going to tell everybody his work ethic. There's nothing wrong with that. He's got a great work ethic because if he's looking to trade him, you know, he wants to increase his leverage. He's not going to put it out there to say, well, this kid's lazy. Let's come on. You know, we got to think about that. And I, I just don't see Sanchez on his team next year. Now, to me, I think the Yankees biggest problem is they're scared that somebody's going to unlock Sanchez and he's going to become that guy that first was brought up by the Yankees. You know, where everybody thought he was the next great hitting catcher. Uh, even defensively, he was good. So I, I think they're so scared of that, but you can't be scared of that anymore because tell you the truth, like I said, he's become too much of a storyline for the Yankees now. And, you know, it's always an up and down thing that you're better off just getting rid of him. Just get rid of him. Whatever you could possibly get from Get what you get for him. You're going to probably just get a couple of low-level prospects. That's the case, and that's the case. I mean, this is another uh, year where you played in a playoff game, and Kyle Higashioka was a starting catcher. Well, I mean, that's, that's all the you other need to thing. Know. What's the sense of you? If you're not going to trust him in your lineup day in and day out, and he's not even good enough to be in a playoff game, then what's the sense to him even being on your roster? So, I'm, listen, I'm going to say it now. He's He's not going to be a Yankee coming into the 2022 season. I just don't. You know, Gleyber Torres was another guy that they questioned. But Gleyber Torres, they finally made the move for him to go back to second base, which is where he belonged all along. He's not a shortstop. I kind of think that it did affect his hitting. I thought it affected him at the plate because the mental aspect of it, you know, being so poorly uh, a defensive player at shortstop and you're almost a gold glove player at second base. I think kind of weighed on him when he was up at the plate. And I think they finally moved him around. So the Yankees will look to bring in a shortstop as well. You know, I don't know what they're going to do at first base. Do they resign a kid like a guy like Rizzo? Well, maybe, maybe they resign him. You know, you have Joey Gallo here who cannot be in your lineup day in and day out. He's got another year in his contract. So you cannot have him in your lineup day in and day out. And they also have to go get a center fielder. Look, the Yankees have a lot of work ahead of them this offseason, probably more so than they've ever had because they're going to need some starting pitching. They're going to need a center fielder. They're going to need probably a catcher. And they're probably going to, they're going to need a shortstop. And no doubt. And the worst part about it is that they do not have the financial flexibility to be able to fix this team unless Hal exceeds the luxury tax. And listen, a a lot of Yankee fans, I think, are a little off base because a lot of them call Hal Steinbrenner cheap. He's not cheap. They still have the second highest payroll in baseball. But the Yankees are used to drastically outspending the mistakes that they've made. Whereas now the mistakes that they've made have held them back. I mean, you pay, you bought out Severino's arbitration years, which looked like a good deal in the moment. The guys had an injury riddled last three seasons that hasn't worked out. You bought out all of, Aaron Hicks's arbitration years and gave him an extension for seven years and 70 million. And that looks like an albatross right now. So, you know, there's a lot of mistakes contract wise on this team that they don't have the flexibility to be able to fix. But you don't, but you don't need to spend the big money in order to bring guys in. Here's the problem with the Yankees. The last few years, they feel like one to nine. Everybody's got to be a slugger. You can have a guy hitting 220 in your lineup. It's okay as long as he's giving you defense. 
So if, if the if the case in point is you want to put Velasquez at, at shortstop, who they used a few games, and he looked okay. You know, he, he kid looked all right. He didn't look like he was not a major leaguer. But do you want to put that? You know, I compare it to like a, an Andres Jimenez, who the Mets had, who they dealt in that in that uh, in that Lindor trade. You know, something like that. You don't have to spend a ton of money at these positions in order to get it right. Just get a guy that can play the position for now. You don't need a guy that's going to hit 35, 40 homers every spot in the lineup. And it seems like the Yankees are so enamored with wanting to be so deep in their lineup that they kind of lose focus on what really matters as far as playing the game. You know, the Yankees once in a while can use to be playing small ball, play some defense. Hold an opponent down, you know. Don't you know? Don't don't give them the extra runs in an in an inning. And if it sounds familiar, it's the same thing I said about the Mets. Play some defense. Play some small ball. Not everything has to be a thirty-five homer hit this a uh, homer guy in in the spot in the lineup. It doesn't have to be that way. So I look. Nobody's saying the Yankees have to increase increase payroll. Maybe they turn around. Maybe they trade a Luke Voigt. You know, maybe they trade a Gleyber Torres for what they're looking for. You know, maybe they go around and trade a Gleyber Torres if they can get, you know, a couple of guys to fill other holes. Maybe that happens. So, look, I catch you. Just get a guy that could you – know, look Look at the Astros. They got Martin Maldonado there. The guy's the best defensive catcher in the league. If, if you get a hit out of him, it's a bonus. They don't care, the Astros. They got that guy plugged in the lineup. Right. They got that guy plugged in the lineup day in and day out. Just call a great game and give us defense. Throw runners out when you need to throw runners out. That's all you need. You don't need these guys that are going to hit 30 homers. You don't need the Gary Sanchez of the world where you're so enamored with them offensively that you can't get rid of them. Just get a defensive catcher in. Even get a defensive center fielder in. Uh, you know, you don't need to have the best guy at every single position. And again, that's been part of the Yankees' philosophy for years because, as you said, they just outspent everybody. And you don't need to do that at this point right now. You could be a little flexible. You could be flexible. So we'll see. Uh, but, look, we got into it with the Yankees. I don't want to get too much into it because we want to just talk about the Mets and just touch on them for a few minutes, Andrew. And once again, it's amazing that they just cannot get any of these guys to come in that they're looking for. Now, look. They, they are taking some unfair hits, in my opinion. David Stearns isn't going to go anywhere. He's under contract with Milwaukee. He's done a terrific job with them. So, you know, look, in order to get him, he would probably have to be asked to release to be released from his contract. Milwaukee didn't want to give him permission to even interview with the Mets. That's all well and good. Dill Epstein was probably just a pipe dream for any one of us. We all wanted it. I wanted it. But, look, Dill Epstein is in, in doing other endeavors right now. He's part of a, a, a group that's helping other groups, you know, try and invest in buying teams. He's also working for the NFL from what you hear. So he, he's a pipe dream too. And as far as Billy Bean, that's another guy under contract. And I'll be honest with you, Andrew, I don't know if Billy Bean was even the right fit here because Billy Bean hasn't general manager over a championship team at any point. You know, look, he's put together some good teams with DAs. But have they won so much that we have to have them? No. You could say the same so, thing about David Stearns then. You could probably say the same thing about David, David Stearns. David Stearns has a lot less on his – I didn't want David Stearns no at doubt. all. The guy's done nothing. The guy has done nothing. He really has. No doubt. No doubt, 100%. So, look, where do they go now in order to bring somebody in? Well, you hear Josh Burns, but Josh Burns didn't even want to interview with the Mets last year. 
He didn't even want to come here. Now, here's my problem, and I, and I brought this up a, you know, about a month ago or so ago. You know, with Sandy Alderson there, it's kind of a stigma, in my opinion. I think with Sandy Alderson there, it kind of it, it makes guys think, hey, listen, this guy's going to be in here having to call the shots. Or I got nowhere else to go but just to be a general manager here. I, I don't know if I want the spectra and the shadow of Sandy Alderson looking over me. You don't know how guys feel about Sandy Alderson. You know, I, I don't know how I feel about that. I've heard a lot of people say that, but I mean, Sandy Alderson made it abundantly clear when he first came back that he did not want to oversee baseball operations. And he was basically just thrust into that role because their GM got caught sending, you know, with the sexual harassment. Jared Porter, he was fired. And Zach Scott got a DUI before you knew it. He was the signal caller. And from what you heard, I mean, Steve Cohen brought him in to kind of handle the the business side of things because of the fact that he's so well-respected. So, I mean, on one side of the coin, everyone says he's so well-respected and that helps Steve Cohen get approval, but yet no one wants to work with him. I just find that so strange. And he yeah, doesn't. I don't know. I, I, don't I, I don't believe in that narrative that he's going to be breathing over the shoulder of anybody that comes in. I, I just... I think that uh, the Mets know. are going to have to go know. in a we direction like a lot of these other teams did. I mean, a lot of these other teams that have these presidents of baseball operations that are being or GMs that are being sought after now didn't have the, this crazy long resume of success before they became who they were. I mean, they were experimental guys, guys who were well-respected and young and innovative and bright and given an opportunity. So, yeah, it's nice that the Mets had a list of guys who already have an established resume and have done some really good things in baseball and have built up a long enough resume where they're the top on their list. But now it's going to be it's going to be up to the Mets to do the same thing that a lot of these other teams are forced to do when looking for a signal caller, which is to find a diamond in the rough, find a well, young guy who has a little bit of experience in a front office and who's smart and give him the promotion and take the chance. Okay. So yesterday I was listening to WFA in the morning and there was a great phone call. It's one of the, one of the smartest things somebody has said as far as a call in a calling caller. And he said, Hey, don't you think that there could be a problem with certain guys now coming in that might have something in their background that might get exposed in light of what happened to Zach Scott and Jared Porter when they were hired by the Mets, you know, maybe somebody has something in their background that, hey, they don't want to interview for this job because they got stuff in their background that they don't want to have exposed. It wow, sounds that's, crazy. That's it not, sounds, I, listen, I don't think it sounds crazy to me. It's that's not actually that a, crazy. That's an and, I, and I said, wow, that's a great point that this caller called in. I, was, I thought it was a great point. I said, yeah, you imagine somebody has some, I mean, for God's sake, John Gruden got, got caught with emails from 2011 over something that he wasn't even being investigated into. So you look at something like that, and you're like, wow, it's possible that there could be a guy out there that the Mets are interested in, and he says no thanks, and he doesn't give him a reason why, but he says no thanks because he says, I don't want to be exposed. I had a couple of things in my background that I, you know, I don't want to be brought to light. So, and you know, you know that the and you know that the Mets to have, to try to avoid another PR disaster are going to do they, as well, deep they, of a dive as possible when interviewing someone. Uh, you got to do a, the deepest dive you could possibly. You got to go to the bottom of the ocean and as and under it. <laughs> I mean, you know. So, uh, you know, we'll we'll see. But look, it, it, you'd like to see the Mets try and get something, some sort of movement within the next couple of weeks because you know, right after the World Series, then you know you're going to start having some. Some uh, some decision baseball roster decisions to be made here with this team, especially with this team, because I think this team has to be turned over dramatically, in my opinion, 
And, you know, you want to bring somebody in here that's going to be able to, you know, kind of get a hold of the landscape of this organization and have enough time to where you, you know, with free agency and, and uh, you know, the uh, um, winter, winter trade, uh, winter trade uh, um, meetings, you know, happening. So, and you want to get a manager in place at some point, you're going to have the general manager and the baseball operations guy, you know, appointing a ma- getting a manager in here. So, you know, they, they got to really go out and kind of be aggressive with what they want and who they want. So we'll see. Uh, you know, it's going to be interesting, though. So, look, we'll get away from the baseball. We covered the Mets. We covered the Yankees. And believe me, it's not going to be the last time, you know, over the next couple of weeks we're going to be covering the Mets and Yankees. I'm sure there'll be a lot more talk again. Uh, so we'll get into the football. And, look, you know, the Jets had a bye. So we really don't have to get much into the Jets. But, you know, the Giants just utterly embarrassed themselves uh, on Sunday, Andrew. And I tell you, uh, that was an embarrassment of epic proportions. You can't use these injuries as an excuse all the time. I get it. The injuries are, are out of control on the Giants. It really, really is. But I, I just don't see any fight in them. I, I, I don't see it. You know, look, the Ravens have 17 players on injury reserve, Andrew. 17. What's their record right now? Five and one? 17 and they just players. beat the piss out of the team that I thought might have been the team to beat. You thought AFC. might be the team to beat. They beat the piss out of them. Justin Herbert looked terrible. So And look at know, another look at another team that's got injuries in the Seattle Seahawks, and they kept a close game with their back. Kept it like, close against listen, Pittsburgh. The Steelers are not the 72 Dolphins here, but they kept it close Doesn't in matter. a hostile environment a, they, on a nationally televised game. They competed, they competed without a defense, a, a defense that's probably worse than a Giants defense, and an offense that, you know, had Geno Smith, that quarterback. So, look, they found a way. They found a way to compete and get that game, you know, into, you know, into a tie score, for God's sake. But, look, they tied it at one point. Yeah, they did tie it. Yeah. I mean, you know, DK Metcalf had a brain yeah. fought. With, well, it went to overtime. Oh, you're right. But, you know, look, again, the compete level for the Giants right now is at a low point. And this is this is a, a big black stain on Joe Judge. It's a stain on him because did that out last guy, week? everything everything that he preached over the last year and a half was execution fundamentals. We're gonna fight hard for sixty minutes. Well, I didn't see that. I did not see that. This defense is god awful. I thought there should have been some changes, a couple of firings over the last couple of weeks. I don't care how good Patrick Graham was last year. I don't care what you think about, about Jason Garrett. I think some sort of movement had to be made here. And it seems like the Giants are just going to sit status quo until the end of the year. They're going to probably win two or three games at best. And, and after that, it's got to be a cleaning house again. But again, John Mara is part of the problem, and he's a big problem here. He's been a big problem because he's gotten it wrong. Nice man, a good man but not a football man. He's nothing like his father, Wellington, nothing. And to have that guy, you know, make decisions for the organization, man, it's giants are in a bad way. They've been in a bad way for a long time. Worst record in in the NFL over the last five years. And they've been in a bad way now. And it's gotten worse than Sunday. Sunday was a culmination of just utter embarrassment for this organization. And the fan base, you know, you can't listen. The fans, 
weren't really there to the, at the start of the game. By the third quarter, whatever fans were in that uh, stadium, Andrew, they were gone. They got up and left. You know, they got up and left. I, I, again, I, I get, I get the, I get the injury part of it. I get it. But I, I look, I told you at the beginning of the year, even healthy, they were a five or six win team. And, and you look at this team now, and where's, you know, over these last four drafts that Edelman has, uh, Gettleman has been in charge of, where is the impact defensive player here? Where is it? There are none. There are none. I understand Blake Martinez went down, but that's one guy. The rest of the defense is healthy. You know, he traded Marcus Golden. Look what Marcus Golden is doing right now with, with Arizona. Look what he's doing. You think they could use him as an edge rusher right now? I think so. They got rid of him. They didn't bring in any edge rushers. Everything's with his hog mollies. This offensive line is still in a shambles. Albeit, I get it. There's some injuries there. Look, he looks like he got it right, at least with Andrew Thomas, thank God. But the rest of that offensive line, it's it's Hernandez is just blah, second-round pick. Matt Pert is a project. Shane New was hurt. He was a project coming in. Gates is hurt. I get that. But look, they have to just clean house and hope to God that somehow, some way, John Mara maybe brings somebody in to try and overlook, overlook some of these hirings. Maybe he brings in somebody like uh, an operation sort of, uh, somebody in charge of football operations, bring somebody in to bring in a general manager and a coach instead of him overseeing a lot of that. So we'll see. But the Giants have a lot of problems there, Andrew, a lot of problems, a lot. And look, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the problems is because of, of epic failures in the draft. Epic failures in this draft. Where you've had premium picks over the last four years. And you haven't gotten it right. And the money they spent hasn't been spent wisely either. No, Leonard Williams a is a complete non-factor. Non-factor. Kenny Galladay is doing the same exact thing he did in Detroit. He's yeah. hurt all the time. He can't hurt. stay on the field. And he's, nope. not, he's not that number one guy that can get separation no. at all times. No, he's not. He's not a volume receiver. We said that. We said that in our NFL preview show, Andrew. He's not a volume receiver. He's a guy that's going to win the 50-50 ball downfield. He's a support guy. He's that second guy. That's what he is. He's a very good second guy if he could stay healthy. He's not a number one receiver there. He's not. And I, I haven't I, I haven't watched the Giants obviously as closely as you have, because some of the time they're on they're they're you know, been on TV where there's other big time games going on that I'm more locked into. They actually, as far as I know, I, I don't think they've played at the same time as the Steelers yet this year. I think they might've played at the same time once where I didn't really tune into the game at all. Uh, but I've seen enough. And, and I, this is probably the worst I've ever seen James Bradbury play too. Particularly that game against Dallas. He was God awful. He was God awful in that game. against well, Dallas. Well, look, I tell you the truth. The only thing in his defense is, they're not getting anything in the way of a pass rush. It's a clean pocket. Every single game for every single quarterback, they're going untouched. Now, they got early pressure on Stafford last uh, Sunday uh, in the first quarter. They had a couple of sacks, but they were also coverage sacks. It wasn't like somebody came jetted in and, and you know, bang, you know, Stafford had a split second. It's It wasn't even like that. They were more coverage-type sacks than anything. So, you know... Uh, look, anybody knows worth their salt that your secondary a lot of times is only as good as your pass rush. There's only so so much you could be downfield without a pass rush, and and a quarterback has a clean pocket, as all these quarterbacks have ha have had against the Giants. 
so far this, you know, the first five, six weeks. So it, it's not going to get any better. It's just not. You know, the Adoree Jackson signing was a bad signing. He's looked god-awful. God-awful. Adoree Jackson is just pretty much a bust at this point. He's a bust. So, you know, and, and none of these draft picks really have come, you know, they, they haven't, you know, really guy like Don A. Holmes, uh, Julian Love, uh, you know, guys like that that just really haven't produced. They're not giving them anything. They're not making any sort of plays that, that are making a difference. Jabril Peppers, who they acquired in that trade, isn't even playing really much. I, I know he was hurt. He was inactive last week, but he's not even playing that much. Even when he was active, he was, he was playing maybe 50% of the snaps. So, look, whatever guy they bring in, because Gettleman's going to have to go after the season. There's no way you bring him back. They got a big job ahead of them. You know, they, they're probably going to be in cal- salary cap hell for a couple of years. They're going to have to really do it through the draft. And maybe a hope of these couple of couple of these kids that they drafted in the last couple of years maybe produce. But you know what? If you're bringing in a new GM, Andrew, I've said it before, you're going to have to bring in a new coach. You can't allow the GM to be straddled here with a coach that he did not bring in. You can't allow that. That's a bad start. It's a bad start. Now maybe oh, I- a GM maybe a GM says, "Listen, this roster needs so much help. There's no sense in bringing in a coach." Right now, let's keep Judge for another year. Let's see what he could do here, and we'll take it from there. But for the most part, you you, you kind of like your general manager to appoint his own coach. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and if if this past week was any indication, it, it seems as if my biggest fear when the hire was first made was starting to come true. You didn't see a level of compete, and my fear was that hard-nosed mentality of your coach was going to become stale if the team falls into the abyss. And now, granted, they only won six games a year ago, but they were in playoff contention because the NFC East was so poor. They were in it until the very end, up until the very last game. And they had some big-time signature wins, including the, you know, the one game that comes to mind was on the road in Seattle with Daniel Jones out and Colt McCoy playing quarterback. They had that big win. So they were they were firmly in the mix. This year, they're not in the mix. Dallas looks phenomenal. They're running away with the division. And the Giants have been horrific. And you start to see it becomes a little stale. You start to see that his mantra of playing the game the right way and being disciplined is no longer rubbing off on the players. You're seeing a lot of undiscipline. So... Who knows? I mean, if a general manager comes in, like you said, a lot of them are hell-bent on selecting their own guy. Even if they are fans of Joe Judge, there's going to be questions to be asked when you start seeing the players not really buying into the vision when they're not stacking wins in the win column. That's that's a level of concern for me. That's a level well, of concern. And you look, said something in a text thread today that I thought you put it perfectly about Daniel Jones. This was a big year for him, year three. And you said... He's done enough where he teases you, but he's not doing it consistently enough to give you the idea that he can carry a team on his back. 
Yeah. Now, I'm not saying he's going to go out there and throw for 5,000 yards with the current skill position players due to injury. Obviously, the offense has been dealt a really tough hand with all these injuries. I mean, Galladay goes down. Shepard goes down. Slayton goes down. You finally start utilizing Tony, and Tony goes down. Kyle Rudolph has been banged up. Barkley has been banged up. I mean, this is it, it's it's they've been snake bitten. There's no other way to put it. But there's no excuse for the lack of offense to even move the ball past the 50-yard line anymore. And, no, and that's did, what you start to see. Right. Yeah, you start to see that. And you also start to see the fact that for a kid that was drafted sixth overall, you want him to make other players around him better. He's got to be able to, to elevate other players' games. He's got to be able to make these players better. You know, you know what I mean? I mean, that's what you're expecting. And if you're not going to get that, there's no sense in keeping that kid around. There's no sense. Now, look, if you trade him because you decide now with, you know, you, you have your two first round picks next year and it works out to the point where, you know, you, you're going to you're going to be able to draft one of these quarterbacks that maybe are coming out of college that are highly ranked. Well, look, you're going to sell Daniel Jones for pennies on a dollar to somebody. I'm sure somebody maybe would want a quarterback. And look, he's got some sort of talent. He's got enough there where somebody thinks that they can probably unlock it a bit. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody's going to see that. He's mobile. He's got a big arm. He's got a great work ethic from everything you hear about the kid. Yeah, well, how many times do we talk about the fact that there's always coaches who want to fix other teams' problems? There's always one of them. There's always at least one of them out there that wants to be the fixer, that wants to be the person that untaps potential, the person that takes a flyer on a on – a, on a low-hanging commodity and turns it around and gives them a fresh start. So there'd be someone out there willing to take a shot on Daniel Jones. But to me, in, th- in three years, well, two years, and now six games, well, five really, because he was hurt early in that Dallas game. And by the way, I, I don't even think that there was a reason for him to be on the field this Sunday. They're, 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 they well, shouldn't have rushed him back. And not okay. saying that he was Let, still concussed. All right, let's, you know, Boomer Esiason, who I value his opinion, and I, I value what he has to say, especially when it comes to the NFL. Brought up a great point about that. And, and I thought he was spot on. And he said, look, Joe Judge is thinking to himself, this kid's been terrible this game. He has not played good at all. And he's going he's gonna to fight to the very end. And he's going to turn it around. And he's, you know, he's, he's going to try and, uh, and, and, and get something positive out of this. By the time this game ends, you cannot worry about injuries at that point. And he said, listen, the kid was so bad that Joe Judge felt like, you know what? You're going to fight your way out of this. We're not giving you the easy out. It's like, it's like what we talk about with, with starting pitches, Andrew. Come to fourth inning, a starting pitcher's age, drew 50 pitches, bases are loaded, one out, and he's looking at the manager, and the manager's look, you know, yanking him out of, a, out of a dire situation to bring in somebody else from the bullpen to try and help him out. No. Fight it, fight through it, fight through it. And basically that's what Boomer Esiason said, what Joe Judge was thinking. Yeah, but you know what? There's a difference between having someone fight through it and what happened on Sunday. Because they're down 38-3. to three. The whole reason he was even playing in that game I didn't think was that great of an idea because he was just cleared completely at the end of Thursday. Right. So not a lot of prep time, not a lot of reps to get back in the rhythm of doing things and look at the personnel that was out there. Now, again, we're not giving him 
all the excuses in the world because the offense wasn't there and the offense wasn't healthy because at a certain point, like I always say, I stand like a broken record. If you're truly great, you'll shine through the dysfunction. You'll shine through injuries and, and shorthandedness as far as personnel is concerned. But going into that game against a tough, ferocious defense in the Rams, and then obviously the game going according to script, and it's clear that you had no business being on the field anymore with the personnel that you had. The game was decided by the midway through the second quarter. I don't think taking him out would have been giving the kid an easy out. I think it would have just been doing what's smart because there was there, there's no reward. Even if I Daniel, can feel, look, like what's uh, the reward if Daniel Jones goes out there and leads a, a, a late fourth quarter touchdown drive? Uh, what, and, I don't see the reward what, in that. That's what he's looking for. It's not a reward. It's to say, hey, you're having a brutal game right now. But it doesn't mean it's, it's not going to absolve you and have us take the easy way out and just take you out of the game. Now, now, on the other side, if you want to say to me, well, listen, the guy had no practice time whatsoever the entire, entire week. He just got cleared on Friday with no practice time. He should have never started that game. I'll agree with you there. I'll but give I, you that. I'll, I'll agree with your point if you're referring to a first-year kid. Like if that's Zach Wilson, hey – the NFL game is tough, and you're shorthanded, and we got injuries, I know. But you're going to go and fight your way through this because this is going to be a big stepping stone for you and your young career. I get it. This is a kid in year three. I don't think there's any moral victories that could be taken that would turn this kid's career trajectory around. I really don't. I don't see the value in keeping him out there. He's had enough reps on an NFL stadium already where keeping him in that game had no value and no reward, just further risk because of the fact that he had five turnstiles standing in front of him and no competent receiver that can catch the ball. I, I just, I just don't see the value. I, I had no problem with it. I had, I had zero problem with that, to be honest with you. I, in fact, I, and, and to a certain degree, I was like, good. You should stay in this game. See, I'm, I'm, was sho- terrible I'm the shocked entire that you game. feel that way. I'm shocked no, that you feel I, that I, way. I'm sorry. He was terrible the entire game. You know what? Fight through this. I'm sorry. We're not going to give you an easy way out. It, it, you know, look, I mean, look, he was cleared by a neurologist. He was fine, the kid. He even said it himself. I remembered everything. He was reading a book on the plane on the way back from that, that game uh, uh, against Dallas. He was clear-headed. Well, I'm not saying that he was still concussed when he went out there. So but the kid, no the kid, the kid is out. rusty. There's no one around him that can help. There's no one capable of playing in an hey, NFL game. I Andrew, mean, the offensive Andrew. unit that they had out there at the end of that game was embarrassing. Andrew, embarrassing. listen to me. Listen to me. It's not going to be any different this Sunday. It's going to be even worse because Andrew Thomas is out. Uh, obviously, Barkley's out. Galladay is going to be out. Tony's going to be out. It, it doesn't matter. It, it, he's, got a, he's got a shamble of an offensive line on Sunday as well. So okay, but he difference? has a week of reps, and he has a week to work with the okay. coaches and game plan with the pieces that they do have instead of just keeping a kid out there in that type of environment and just say, figure it out. So to me, it's just, it's, it's not, I'm not saying it's, it's a fireball offense. I just don't agree with it. I don't see the value in it. And I, I just thought it was a mess. It was a mess. And I think it just further added to the, the culmination of, of everything that went wrong on Sunday. I really did. But we can move away from the Giants because there was a ton of games on the docket on Sunday that piqued everyone's interest, including a really big game that I wanted to start with. Because when you ask me, Rob, you always do every week. You tell me to give you three games on the board that I think are going to be the most interesting. And by far, the one I thought that was the most interesting was Ravens and Chargers. And that was probably the worst game of the week because yeah, the Ravens just, just went out there game. and just completely it, kicked it, it wasn't, the Chargers It wasn't interesting ass. for the sake of, of being a great game. It was only interesting because, you know, the Chargers got their ass whipped 
for 60 minutes in that game for four entire quarters. That was bad. So, it was, it was bad. bad. And I'll tell you the truth, Lamar Jackson didn't have to do much, Andrew. You know, he played pitching catch with Mark Andrews most of the game, but, you know, Lamar Jackson didn't have to do a lot. They were running the ball everywhere they wanted to go. Mark Andrews, I, I'm watching the game, I'm saying, does anybody realize Mark Andrews is on this field and he's wide open every single play? Like there was no adjustments made. Brandon Staley, who's supposed to be a, a you know a defensive minded coach, I I mean, and, and, and let's be again, honest, what was the, what was the final? Thirty four to six. Yeah, it could have been fifty to six if not for two brutal Lamar Jackson turnovers. Yeah, I mean they dominated the yeah. whole game. He actually dominated. made he made two. I want to want to say one of them one of them was awful. One of them was a little. You know, it was just a turnover you don't want to see. One of them was just so god-awful that I can't even put into words. And they still dominated 34-6. to Herbert looked lost. I mean, the Chargers couldn't – they didn't even try to run the ball, really. I mean, they were behind the, – they were in a negative game script from the very onset, so they couldn't even make a, a, a big-time commitment to running the ball. But Austin Eckler, I think he had six carries for seven yards. Uh, Herbert was the leading rusher by keeping it himself on two plays. I mean, that was just awful. So – the, the Chargers are going to have some work to do. I think that was an, that was an eye-opener, a, a good old-fashioned ass-whooping that, you know what, a guy like well, Brandon Staley probably needed. Well, look, I, I'll be honest with you, Andrew, you know, we can't overreact to one week because we all tend to do that in the NFL. You know, one bad week, week for a team. Now, the Chargers are on a bye. I'm sure, you know, they looked at film of that game. They probably already have moved past that. Yeah, but I think to... I think it's a beneficial ass kicking for a guy who's in his first year as a head coach, though, because now he's got a long two weeks to be able to game plan the next time oh, out. Yeah, and I think it probably it probably puts a pep in his But it step. doesn't it doesn't make the charges any less of a no. team because they got that ass whip. It happens to the best of them. It happens. You move past it. You move on on to the next week. And that's it. That's all you could say. No. You know, and look, you had the charges as being maybe the team to beat in the AFC. Last week, yeah, them and all Buffalo. of a sudden now, and both of them lost, right? And they both lost. And look, I had you know friends of mine were asking me, "Who do you like? That who do you like?" I said, "Look, I love the Titans tonight. Home underdog Monday night. It just was. It just looked so right for the Titans to beat them, especially with Derrick Henry, that monster. You know, it just looked so right. So I don't, I don't, you know, I don't bet like that. I wish I did because Titans money line." Looked very good at that point. You would have made a killing. But it would have made a killing. Yeah, would have made a killing. But you know, so uh, you, you you go back to the charges. They'll be fine. They still have talent on that team. Justin Herbert's still a wonderful quarterback. Uh, I, I'm I'm not going to be that worried about them. I, I'm not going to overreact to it. You know, much like look, you, you look at the Chiefs, and I understand there's concern there for the Chiefs, but the Chiefs who were actually losing that game at one point to Washington, Andrew came storming back. And again, you know, you, you look at some of the turnovers and I know Mahomes had a couple of interceptions. One of them was his fault. The other one was a ball, one off of Tyreek Hill's hands. Another one Another for, the, one sec, was for a, the second week in a row. Yeah, for the second week in a row. Tyreek Hill has not played well for them. You know, a lot of their offensive plays haven't played well. And I'll tell you the truth, you know, you don't see Kelsey having those big games that you always expect of Kelsey to have. You know that that eight catch, hundred and twenty yard game. No, because a lot of the accustomed to seeing a lot of the Kelsey catches that we're seeing are kind of what you were alluding to a week ago. Is that a lot of these teams are playing cover two, cover four, dropping yeah. back. So the Kelsey catches, they're not designed routes; they're just no. dump offs because their downfield routes are not open. Yeah, they can't they can't get deep. They can't get deep, and it frustrates a team like the Chiefs, and it yeah. frustrates a, a guy like Patrick Mahomes because can you see? 
you know, look, these teams are, are daring them to just throw the ball eight yards and to, and to run the ball. Yeah, it takes six, seven yards. And you know what? The Chiefs are falling into the trap because they know that Patrick Mahomes is going to be not so much uncomfortable, but he's going to be impatient after a while. And he's going to want to take his shots downfield. Yeah, they, he's going to want to make uh, that big play. And they're using they're not Kelsey like it. a they're using Kelsey like a Heath Miller, like like a yes. security blanket instead That's of a playmaker. It. That's it. And let's we all know Kelsey got downfield. I mean, Kelsey used to catch ball 30, 40 yards downfield. Yeah. That's not happening. That same play down the middle that they always ran to Kelsey, not happening anymore. It's just not like you like you alluded to. Good point. They're using him as Heath Miller, <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> seven, eight yard dump offs. That's what you're seeing from Kelsey now. That's what you're seeing from a lot of teams with these big offenses. Teams are t- telling them, you're not going to be throwing a ball over the top on us. Yep. We're not letting you, we're not letting you do that. And it's not just Mahomes turning the ball over. I mean, every single week, what is this? Uh, five weeks in a row. Now the chiefs have had at least one fumble lost between Edward Tiller, who had the, had butterfingers. Nicole Hardman had a bad fumble. Tyreek Hill is dropping balls and it's landing. You know, he's doing the Evan Ingram where he's tipping a ball right up into a defender's hands. It's been, it's been bad. It's been really bad for the Chiefs. It's been and, bad. You know, at, at a certain point, I wonder how many people are going to turn on the Chiefs and realize that maybe it's a little broken, and we can't just chalk it up to the fact that they, oh, they have Mahomes, they have Andy Reid, they'll snap out of it. Hey, this is just really not a good, not a great football team. They're not a great football team. No, and well, look, we all we all see the deficiencies on defense. We've mentioned that every single week. Their defense has got awful. It's been terrible, and I don't know if Spagnola is going to. Get it right by the time, you know, you get to week 10, <laughs> at the very least, you'd like to try and see some semblance of a defense from them. But, you know, that's that's just not happening with them. So the Chiefs, you know, look, do they make the playoffs? I'm sure they make the playoffs. They could still obviously uh, win a division. That's not out of the realm of possibility because, like I said, you know, you, you had the Broncos, the Chargers, they're good, but they're not dominant good. They can easily lose two or three games in a row. And we're starting to see the deficiencies with Teddy Bridgewater with Denver. You know, and we always felt that way. Bridgewater is a nice little quarterback to have. He really is. But look, the Raiders went in there without John Gruden. First time they coached with, uh, without John Gruden, they went in and they pretty much dominated the Broncos from the start in Denver last week. They beat them 34-24 and they really didn't have to do a lot to beat Denver as just Bridgewater is, is what he is. He's a game manager. And that's why, you know, you hear all these rumors about the Sean Watson, Aaron Rodgers next year, Russell Wilson after this year, you always, you always seem to think that they're going to figure it out Denver and bring one of these quarterbacks in like they did with a Peyton Manning, you know, so we'll see, but you know, the, the, the big game of the week was that Cowboy Patriot game. And that was, that was just a terrific, terrific game. And, you know, Tommy Locke said it. You know, he thought Mac Jones was arguably the best quarterback in this draft and the most NFL ready. And he proved it. I'll be honest with you, Andrew. He proved it, that kid. I thought he played a hell of a game against the Cowboys. Made some big plays when he needed to, especially in the fourth quarter, especially after the Cowboys scored. He came right back down, hit Kendrick Bourne on that 75-yard touchdown, you know, to, to take the lead again. Cowboys ultimately win it in, in an overtime, and the Cowboys look very good. Again, defensively, they have some shortcomings there, but they do enough defensively to make some plays. But Dak Prescott—that's what it is. Dak Prescott was was unreal the other day. They got plenty of weapons. They got a two-headed monster at running back with with Zeke and and Pollard. And you know, when Gallup comes back, they'll have weapons galore 
you know, uh, at wide receiver. They already have Lamb with Cooper and Gallup would be back probably the next week or two. So, you know, Dallas looks terrific right now. The Rams look terrific right now. The Packers are back. The Packers are back. And listen, Andrew, I don't know if you've seen any of that game, but Aaron Rodgers was getting beat up early on in that game. He was. By the, Bears, by the Bears defense. Yeah, that Bears defense was was not really looking great the first couple of weeks of the season. No, but they're, they're starting looking, to come alive now, and they're starting to wreak havoc on the quarterback. Yeah. It's keeping them in games. It's keeping them in games. But then, you know, Rodgers found, obviously, as he always does, he he found his way, Rodgers. By the mid-second quarter, you know, it was the Aaron Rodgers show again. And after he scored on a bootleg, Aaron Rodgers did his discount double check and basically told everybody in the stands, I still own you. You know, so I thought that was pretty funny hearing that. I thought it was you great. Know, yeah, I can't just, wait to see. I can't wait to see him do that wearing black and gold next year. Huh? Wait, did I say that out look, loud? Listen, listen. It's not a <laughs> look. It's not out of the realm of possibility. No, it's not. It's not. But you know what? I I don't want to get my hopes up too much. It's it's not the type of movie you see the Steelers make. You're not. Used but to you know what? Jake, Jake Glazer said it was really interesting. He said when Mike Mike Tomlin signed a contract extension this offseason to remain coach. And, and we were kind of in agreement, Rob. I know we alluded to this a little bit during the offseason that we thought that this was going to be the last kick of the can for both Tomlin and Ben, and maybe they go out together. And this is definitely going to be Ben's last season. But Tomlin signed a contract extension, and Jay Glazer was saying that Tomlin signed that extension knowing damn well that once Ben was done, he did not want to start over. He wanted a veteran quarterback. Now, that doesn't have to mean Aaron Rodgers. I mean, if Russell Wilson facilitates his way out of Seattle, maybe that's a possibility. Maybe they want to bring in a guy like, uh, you know, who knows? I'm trying to think of a veteran quarterback, like a Fitzpatrick type of guy, maybe a placeholder for a couple of years, you know, whatever it is. So although it's not a stealer move, according to that report, They'd definitely be interested in doing it. And from that restructuring of, of Rogers contract and the agreement he made with the front office, he kind of can facilitate whatever the hell he wants this off season. So if he wants to go to Pittsburgh, he can go to Pittsburgh. So, so I, I, I'm going to give you a fun little hypothetical here. Okay. Give it to me. Just a little fun hypothetical. Let's say the giants want to move on from Daniel Jones. They're going to draft a quarterback or maybe they make a trade. Maybe Aaron Rodgers is going to the giants. Maybe Russell Wilson's going to the Giants. However it may be, they're going to move on. They want to move on from Daniel Jones because they got other eggs in their basket right now. Maybe it's Rodgers. Maybe it's Russell Wilson. Let's just say hypothetically it's one of those two guys. So now the Giants have to move on for Daniel Jones. Are you trading as Pittsburgh Steelers general manager? Would you be calling whatever GM the Giants are going to be? And I don't think it's going to be Gettleman. Would you be ringing their phone looking no. to make a deal for Daniel Jones? No. No, because you – If the Giants came to you and said, give me a third-round pick. No. No, I wouldn't. I, I just don't think it's a it's an advantageous spot for him. I mean, does he have some untapped potential? Sure. But to me, I think the Steelers – the Steelers offensive situation is is a lot like the Giants in terms of who's calling the plays and it's very vanilla and I just don't see them as as wanting to take a flyer on someone like that when they don't have the the wherewithal to be able to craft a playbook that can get the most out of a guy like that I think that's why they didn't even call the Jets when it came to Sam Darnold even though that was a possibility they didn't even go ringing I just don't think like a guy like Haskins it was harmless they signed they signed it to a contract he wasn't guaranteed a roster spot you know so I, I really well, don't think are you, are, you like guarantee, that. are you guaranteeing me that Matt Canada is coming back as Steelers offensive coordinator next year? What if they fire him? What if they say we want to we want to look, they got Najee Harris, they got Deontay Johnson, they got James Washington. 
They got Clay, uh, Chase Claypool. They got Pat Freermouth. Pat Freermouth. They got him. What's wrong with their offensive situation right there? That, that to me, it would be a perfect situation for a kid like Daniel Jones to walk into. You know, you have a coach in Mike Tomlin who's well-respected. You know the Steel organization is going to do anything they need to do draft-wise. They have a terrific defense. Not everything's going to be on Daniel Jones at that point. You have an all-world player in T.J. Watt. I think that's a perfect situation for that kid. I think you're crazy. No, I, I don't. I don't. Because they have all that right now, and they're scoring 17 points a game because the quarterback doesn't have enough playmaking ability. I haven't seen enough playmaking ability out of a guy like Jones to say, hey, let's bring him in here, and, and he's the missing piece here. I don't. I don't see that. I think if worse comes to worse, if they can't get another veteran quarterback, because Ben's got another year on the contract. I mean, it's a voidable year. But if they can't get the picture-perfect situation that they have their eyes on, maybe they just run it back with Ben again. Or maybe they give – listen, I mean, you and I can both acknowledge the fact that he's not that good. But they did give an extension to Mason Rudolph before the season started. We have to remember oh, that. So listen. they could give him a chance. Daniel too. Jones is a Hall of Fame quarterback compared to Mason Rudolph. Uh, that, well, we, we, we seen could, a, you, that's a little you, bit of an exaggeration. You've seen enough, but that's that's the way. Come on. That's how bad Mason Rudolph is, though. You you got to move on from Mason Rudolph. They they maybe just uh, – look, it's no, probably that, got to – This, is, probably this, got is, what I'll, this is what I'll say. This is what I'll say. The last time we saw Mason Rudolph play, which was week 17 against the Browns team that was fighting to get into the postseason and with Pittsburgh sitting their starters, Mason Rudolph played the best game of his career by far. He was exceptional. I'm not saying that he's an exceptional quarterback, but he showed a lot of growth from the year before to that game that he played last year. And they signed into a contract extension. I don't think they would have given a, a, a backup that hasn't proven anything an extension like that unless maybe they wanted to get well, listen, him in the mix. And at that point, they were shape. just looking to back up Ben in case of an injury, a kid that knew the system. He's been there for a few years already. You know, and they would just, he was almost like a security blanket for them a little bit. Well, no, no, he, he was, under, he, was already under, he was already under contract this year. They gave right, him an but, extension right. leading into years when Ben is not here anymore. Well, yeah, because they're still going to want to make sure they're going to have something for when Ben leaves, because you look at it, the Steelers are perennially, you know, at least a 500 team, if not better, every single year. So they're picking at the back end of the draft. So the fact that you might be able to draft the quarterback is kind of, you know, it's a low percentage that you're going to be able to draft the quarterback that's going to help you. So they're going to keep a guy like Rudolph around and say, okay, we got to suck it up for one year with Mason Rudolph. He's here. He knows the system. Even if we have to bring in a veteran quarterback, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, let's just say, and I'm not saying it's him. I'm just throwing a name that could equate to somebody like Ryan Fitzpatrick. At least you have a guy like Mason Rudolph there. He's definitely not your guy going forward. There's no way. I'd be well, shocked. I'm still not calling for Daniel Jones. Okay. And certainly not for a third round pick. Even like that's way that's way too much in my opinion. Yeah, you're you're doing them a favor and taking a flyer. Mm, I don't think you're taking a flyer on a kid. I think I think in a better situation what the Giants are, and I think with, with less pressure being on him. I think he's a kid that could probably succeed somewhat with, with an organization like the Steelers. Again, well, you said two key, you said key third two key words there. You said think, and you said yeah. somewhat successful. Yeah, because I'm not that's, saying that's, he's going to be. That's, a, I'm not that's, saying a, he's that's, gonna be, that's taking I'm not a flyer. Saying, 
I'm not saying he's going to be a Super Bowl winning quarterback, but I think he's a quarterback that the Steelers can win with. Put it that way. I think he's a quarterback the Steelers can win with. I right, really it, do. If Daniel Jones was on the Steelers team from week one of this season, you'd think they, they're any better than three and three right now? Well, look, then that's not much saying, saying much about Ben. I, I mean, he, look, that first week, Ben didn't do anything against Buffalo. No, he did nothing. He, he did nothing. All right, so let's go. You go through their games real quickly. Uh, week four was the Packer game. Ben was terrible in that game. Not even competing in that game, right? And well, their defense really... was banged up and wasn't getting any stops either. Right, so they're, but they're, not, they're losing that game regardless. They were losing that game regardless. Week three was the game against the Bengals. Terrible. Terrible game. Put up 10 points. Yeah. Daniel Jones could have did kicked. better than that. So maybe they're four and two. <laughs> you know, who knows? But again, with the personnel that the Steelers have, uh, you know, it, it's, it's pretty damn good. It's pretty damn good right now what they're putting out there. They have a hell of a rookie tight end. It looks terrific right now. You know what? Maybe I am pick. giving up a third-round pick. Because now that I think about it, you could trade Rudolph for a second-round pick, so that third-round pick doesn't mean that oh, much. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe trade Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer. I don't know about Mason Rudolph. <laughs> but, you know, look, you, you look at some of these other games, there weren't so many great games on this slate. We mentioned most of them. Cardinals blew out the Browns. You know, we mentioned the Raider Broncos. Seahawks steal a game. We went through that. It was a good game for the Steelers. You know, the Seahawks are, are on the man right there, but the Steelers look good. Bills-Titans game was a terrific game. Derrick Henry ran all over the Bills. Josh Allen put up some big numbers, but look, ultimately, Bills defense could not tackle Derrick Henry. Blew them out. You know, the thing to me, though, is you look at that Dolphin-Jaguar game, and it might be the culmination of, of a trade that might be uh, um, coming about by the end of this week, and that's with Deshaun Watson. Everything you're hearing as being reported in the Houston Chronicle, as our friend Bruce Shine was telling us, uh, and other venues that you hear from too, as well, other social media platforms, is that Deshaun Watson would be going to to the to the Dolphins in a trade, uh, and then they were talking about Tua with the third team, and you're hearing certain uh, certain whispers out there that Washington Football Team would be the third team involved where. Tua would be going to, over to them. And the other thing you're hearing is that more than likely he's going to settle this out of court civilly with all these victims, but there's not going to be any criminal charges. So, and if that's the case, it's up to the NFL then to put out any sort of suspension to Deshaun Watson. Now, more than likely, probably be what, four games maybe? And if it is, and if they make a trade for Watson by the end of this week, and somehow, some way, within the next week, everything civilly is 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 uh, is completed. The NFL decides they're going to suspend them, and who knows how long the NFL could take with that. But within four or five weeks, maybe the Dolphins have themselves a different starting quarterback under the center, not named Tua Tagovailoa, but named Deshaun Watson. Seems like it's a little too much to happen uh, in that sort of a time frame. But hey, you never know. I, I seem to think that this trade is going to happen, and I think it's going to happen now rather than at the end of the season where you have people like Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson that potentially could be uh, um, on other teams. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Miami, who's been terrible all season and just had their worst loss of the season against Jacksonville in London. I mean, it's just an awful loss, a terrible loss. And Tua didn't play terrible 
He's not the reason why they lost. He made a couple of really nice plays in that game. But again, there's just not enough playmaking capability there. And, you know, I heard someone say this online. I want to get your opinion on it, Rob. You, you've seen this a couple times before. There's coaches who come into a situation and right off the bat, they give you the vibe that they're the person to turn the franchise's misfortunes around. And then when it's that year to take the big leap, they kind of fall flat on their face. Is that the vibe you're getting from Brian Flores? Because everyone thought that he was the coach there, myself included, that he was the guy to fix those problems. And now all of a sudden things are not going well. And it's not all on the quarterback. I mean, I don't think Tua is like a superstar by any stretch, but he's certainly not the biggest part of their problems. I mean, a defense that was looked at as one of the best in the league a year ago is awful this year. And they're very undisciplined. Yeah. Very undisciplined again. I'm going to tell you a couple of problems there. A, look, Tua did get hurt. Brissett didn't give them much those first couple of games. He played a good third game that, you know, the third game that Tua had missed. And I think it's the uncertainty around the quarterback position itself that's affecting them as well. Now, again, like you said, the defense has really not equipped itself, you know, to be playing any sort of championship type of football, Andrew. They haven't been good at all. They really haven't been good. I don't think it's a step back as far as Brian Flores' coaching career or makes him any less of a coach than what he's been the first couple of years. I think they got to get that, that quarterback position solidified because I don't think they're enamored with, uh, with Tua Tagliavola. And also, they really don't have much of a running game. And, you know, between Miles Gaskin, Salvin Ahmed, and Malcolm Brown, you know, th- there's, there's three guys that they use that they rotate in and out that really none more better than the other. Yeah. So I think that's an issue. They've had some injuries. You know, Jalen Waddell had a big game against Jacksonville in that London game on Sunday. But other than that, they really, you know, Jacecki has his moments. He had a big game himself on Sunday. But other than that, they really don't have a lot offensively to really support a quarterback of Tua Tagliavola's ilk. Um, again, defensively, you know, they're just okay. They don't have big-time playmakers there. But look, again, that could be fixed. That could be fixed. It's not a giant situation there. It's certainly not a giant situation. I, I don't think it's anything close to that. And if they bring in Deshaun Watson, let me tell you something. Oof, that's a hell of a get, man. That's a hell of a get. I mean, it is, but at the same time, Deshaun Watson was an MVP consideration. The Texans were four and twelve. I, I get, I get it, but that roster that he had was an awful roster that the Texans had. They had a bad coach. You know, I think Flores is a, is a very good coach. And the Dolphins roster is by far better than what the Texans had, you know, when, when, with Deshaun Watson at that time. I think it's far better. And look, this is a team that, that was a 10-win team. Last couple of years, they were good teams, those Dolphin teams. They weren't terrible. So I, I think it's a great situation for him to come into. I really do. Talking about a 25-year-old quarterback that's close to being an MVP. So what do you think the package looks like in return? Do you think it's as it's not going to be as, as it was being talked as, about? No, there's no way. There's no way. No way. Going to be a couple of first round picks, maybe a player or two. You know, because they're all, yeah, they're also talking about flipping two to Washington for a first round pick. So maybe they take another first round pick from Washington along with the ones that the Dolphins have between what they traded with the Niners. And they flipped that over to, to the Texans. So maybe probably maybe three first round picks, 
maybe a player or two going back with Deshaun Watson. That's what I'm thinking. Be and interesting. Accounts, we've been waiting like about we've we, we've been waiting for this for a while. Yeah, for it seems like this time. is going to happen. And this is it a team like all along happen. that was the number one destination from the very beginning. Yes. And the the lack of a step forward. I mean, injuries have played its part, but the lack of a step forward has kind of brought those conversations to the surface again. So it looks like we might have a resolution with this in the next uh, the next week or so. Um, good news for Rob. Another three-point winner in our pick'em segment. Yeah, don't forget he, about my two-point winner also. Well, your two-point was a winner, but I, I did want to touch on the Tampa Bay Eagles game, and that's why I brought it up because we both <laughs> rode together with Eagles plus seven and Nick yes. Sirianni, who also had the Eagles plus seven, evidently. Oh, goes yeah. For the, goes for the two-point conversion down 14, and look, but, the analytics will point to that being a smart decision, so it didn't like come out of, totally come out of right. left field. It's not, it's not out of the realm of possibilities. Coaches do that now. I've seen that often now with these analytics because if you think about it, they, they score, they're down eight, right? They kick the extra point, they're down seven. Okay, it's still either way. You still have an opportunity to tie the game. That's the way they look at it. If you get the two, you bring it down to six, now you have a chance to win the game. And if you don't get it, you're down by eight. And the numbers right, show that said. if you don't get the two-point conversion the right. first time, that you will get it the second time the second, is what the right. numbers point to. So it's all analytics. It's all numbers. I mean, look, it is what it is. But, yeah, they did cover it. For, you know, after that first half, I thought you were jinxing me. I was like, this son of a bitch is going to cause me to break my, my three-point streak. Never a doubt. <laughs> Never a doubt. I called up. I called up Sirianni at halftime, and I told him. I said, get this within six, and I'll love you forever. And he came through. He came through for us. And your two-point pick, you went opposite me. I went with the Giants. I yep. went with the Giants, and I started uh, I started getting excited there because that was at the point that we thought that Mike Glennon was going to be the guy quarterback in the Giants on Sunday. Uh, and Daniel Jones was uh, released from concussion protocol. He was announced as a starter, and the spread went all the way down to, I think it got as low as 7.5 at one point, and then it shot back up. Um so I thought that I was on the right side of that game, but that was an embarrassment, especially if the first drive. I mean, they go down and kick a field goal. They stopped the Rams on their first drive of the game, I thought. And uh, I think the score was 3 nothing up until about, what, like three or – was it two minutes left in the first quarter? That score held up, and I said, man, I think this game might be according to plan. And, uh, and then after that, it was just – oh, it was awful. The one good thing about that game is that, man, Cooper Cup has been a godsend in fantasy football so far. That guy's a machine. Unbelievable. Which I thought was going to happen with Stafford. I, I thought one of those guys, whether it be Woods or Cup, one of them was going to just have an absolutely monster and year. And I'll tell you what, he is spreading the ball around because Robert Woods now is starting to see the ball more. And even uh, Tyler Higby is starting to see the ball more and more. Yeah. Daryl Henderson's been running the ball. Daryl Henderson's been running the ball, been running the the ball well. And as so, if you're good for at least 150 to 60 yard pass to Sean Jackson per game, too. Or Van to Jefferson, you know, one field. of those guys. Yeah. So. yeah, for sure. All right, so looking ahead to uh, my one point, I forgot who my one point pick was last week. Your one point pick was a loser. Um, uh, I have it written down. Where is it? Uh, your one point play was it was Pittsburgh minus four and a half. Jesus, that was a loser. Made a 14 point lead, they let it slip away. Damn it. Um, but we'll do what we normally do. We'll, we'll, we'll look ahead to week seven first, just to look at a couple of the the big time games on the docket. And I got to be honest with you, Rob. 
there, 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 there really isn't any. Yeah, that's that. That was going to be my main point. I mean, I mean Bengals, games Bengals, Ravens, Bengals, Bengals, Ravens is one. The Bengals are obviously four and two. They're fifth in the league in points allowed. That defense has really stepped up. Burrow looks phenomenal. Um, and obviously, you got the the Ravens coming up uh, off their biggest win of the season. They're they're rolling at five and one. So that's a good AFC North battle. Um, the Chiefs and the Titans again. I, I mentioned a few weeks ago that the Chiefs are just going to be a storyline because of how poorly they've played. So, you know, people are going to be locked into them. And then Tennessee coming up with that big Monday night win against the Bills, that's going to catch some people's eyeballs as well. Um, and then the other one, I guess, for a little bit of, of headline uh, intrigue, I guess, is Jared Goff playing the Rams and oh. Matthew Stafford playing the Lions. I mean, besides the, that, the old you're revenge really game, the old yeah, revenge, the revenge game, game, right? Besides, Double revenge game. Besides that, you got nothing. No, it is nothing. nothing. I mean, you got three really good teams on a bye this week. Buffalo, Dallas, and the Chargers are all on a bye. So that right there takes a little bit of of gas out of some of the games. It does, but uh, the matchups just aren't there. Even a Monday night game, Saints, Seahawks, oh, blah. No, Falcons, Dolphins. You you got the Broncos and Browns on Thursday night, and the Browns are going to be without Kareem Hunt, without Baker Mayfield, without Nick Chubb. A mess. Yeah, possibly without Odell. Beckham. Possibly without Odell. Possibly without J.C. Treader on their offensive line and Jack Conklin on the offensive line. That game is going to be a disaster. Um, so I, it's I think honestly, I think if uh, if I'm being quite honest with you, Rob, tomorrow might be the night that I actually I actually pull the pull the trigger and don't watch Thursday night football and just stay locked into New York Rangers hockey. I might have to do it tomorrow night. Yeah, we'll talk about them in, 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 in a little while. But, yeah, no, yeah, there's no doubt I'm going to be watching Ranger hockey. I mean, I was watching Rangers hockey last week, but I was flipping back and forth between that and the Bucks eagles game, and I had some skin in that one, obviously, too. But this one just doesn't do it for me with all these injuries. So maybe I'll just stay locked down the Rangers from beginning to end. Yeah, um, and these are two teams that are probably not going to uh, – it's not going to be an offensive showdown yeah. on Thursday night with all the injuries um, that the Browns have and – you know, the Broncos actually struggled to score a little bit, too. So, you know, Eddie Rosario has gone deep off Julio Urias, giving the Braves an early one nothing lead. And the uh, the Astros are up nine one now in the ninth inning. So they're getting ready to take that three two lead and take it back to Houston just for an update as far as MLB is concerned. But all right, let's go. It's time to time to get into our pick them here. No more playing games this week. I'm coming for blood. I am. Because I went head-to-head with you on our two-point play, trying to pick up some ground. You were on the Rams, minus 10. I was on the Giants, plus 10. It backfired in my face. One of the most embarrassing losses in New York sports history. I mean, that's a little overboard. But uh, it was a pretty bad loss. Um, So, Rob's one-point play, Steelers minus 4.5 was a loser. But he nails a two-point play in the Rams, minus 10. And Eagles, plus 7 as his three-point play. So, he goes 1-2. and But, again, point distribution is the name of the game. And he picks up five points. I hit my one-point play. I picked the Raiders plus three and a half. I thought that the Gruden thing was being overstated and that they were going to bounce back this week against the Broncos team that, quite frankly, is just overrated. Uh, Had the Giants plus 10, obviously. Didn't work out, and I was with Rob on Eagles plus seven as my three-point play. So I go two and one and pick up four points. So Rob picks up a point on me on the week. So through five weeks of play, Rob has a seven and eight record with 19 points. I also have a seven and eight record, but I have 13 points. So trailing by six. So what I'm looking for this week is I'm looking for the old sweep Rooney. I pull out the broom and go three and oh, Rob goes zero and three and we're all knotted up in the points department, getting closer and closer to the halfway point of this season. I think that I'm due for that. 
but Rob actually had the uh, had more points. And I said Rob went one and two. He went two and one, just different point distribution. So I misspoke. Rob, we both go two and one, but Rob gets five points. I get four points. He picks up a point in the standings. Because he had more points last week, it is up to him to deliver the picks first. So he will give his one-point play. I will follow with my one- and two-point play. He will wrap things up with his two and three, and I'll close out the segment with my three-point play. So without further ado, Mr. Three-Pointer, Mr. Reggie Miller, the Reggie Miller of Four Score the Podcast, pick him. Nailing three pointers right and left. You start things off. All right, so Andrew, I'm going to go to Arizona for my one point pick. It's a lot of points here to give up. I know it is. It really, really is. But I'm sorry, Arizona is completely rolling right now. They're completely rolling. It's a 17 and a half point spread. I, I, I could I easily see DeAndre Hopkins and his revenge game against his old team, the Houston Texans. I'm going to say a trifecta of touchdowns. So DeAndre Hopkins uh, uh, owners in fantasy football, you're going to be very happy. I'm looking at three touchdowns. I'm looking at eight to 10 catches with about 120 yards. I'm calling that right now. Murray to Hopkins connection all day long there. I'm looking at Arizona probably putting up 40 on the Texans. Look, the Texans are terrible. They don't have a running game. They don't have a passing game. I don't know how the hell David Mills uh, um, even had any sort of success against the Patriots a couple of weeks ago because he really doesn't look good either, that kid. There's nothing around him. He's missing his uh, his uh, left tackle now, Laramie Tunsil. So, look, I, I just – I could honestly see this being a complete and utter blowout. 40-3, to 40-10, Cardinals – Lay the 17 and a half. There's not much more you can say about this game. The Cardinals are rolling. They're 6-0 and right now. They look terrific. They blew out the Browns. They just, they look terrific. They didn't have their coach last week. Clingsbury was out of COVID-19, and he was their play caller. And I tell you the truth, Murray's not even running the ball himself much. He's using some, they have a, a running game, that two-headed monster with, with, uh, with, with Chase Edmonds and, and James Conner especially kind of inside the five-yard line. He's auto, almost automatic to get into the end zone. You got weapons on the outside with DeAndre Hopkins, Rondell Moore, Christian Kirk. They just brought in Zach Ertz, which I thought was a terrific, a terrific trade for the Cardinals to give up. I believe it was a, a fifth, a fourth or fifth round pick to bring in Zach Ertz. After Max Williams went down at starting tight end, they bring a, 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 a tight end of the quality of Zach Ertz, which is going to help them even more right now. So I think the Cardinals are just going to blow the doors off the Texans, give up the 17 and a half people by one point pick, Houston Texans. Uh, I'm sorry, Arizona Cardinals. Arizona Cardinals, yeah, I knew what you meant. So 17, you're laying the 17 and a half as you want. I'm point laying the 17 and a half, baby. All right, all right. That's ballsy laying 17 and a half. It's ballsy, but it has to be done, Andrew. But it's not that ballsy, because if, if it was that ballsy, you'd make it your three-point play. I'm not going to coerce you. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. All right, I'll, I'll go with my one-point and my two-point play. I'll start things off. My one-point play is going to be on the nationally televised Monday night game. That is between the Saints and the Seahawks. The Seahawks are five-point favorites traveling into Seattle. Look, this is not the Jameis Winston that's throwing for 400 yards. He's averaging 178 yards a game this year. He's not the type of guy that's going to air it out. And although Seattle's defense has not been good, 
they can stack the box. They can bring Jamal Adams, also known as Blitz Boy. They can bring him into the box. They can shut down the short intermediate game. I don't see the Saints doing a ton offensively. And they use Geno Smith as the game manager that he is. I mean, he was able to, to move the ball up and down the field a little methodically against Pittsburgh. If not for the late game turnover by T.J. Watt, I, I thought Seattle was actually going to win that game in a hostile environment. Now they go back home with the 12th man on their side. I think they do just enough to keep this game within the spread. I could see the Saints obviously winning, but I think this game is close enough. So I expect the Seahawks to cover that five-point spread. So I'm taking the Seahawks plus five as my one-point play on Monday Night Football. That's how okay. I start. I like my it. My two-point like play now. Rob just went on this whole little tangent about how confident he is laying points. Well, I'm going to be the type of guy who takes points. And I'm traveling to that good old revenge game that we just touched on before, and that's the Detroit Lions against the Los Angeles Rams. And the Detroit Lions are 15-point dogs in this game. Okay. I know I got burned by taking the points with the Giants last week against the Rams. But let me tell you something. Sean McVay even said himself today that he did not handle the Jared Goff situation perfectly and that he wishes he would have done things differently. What that signals to me is that there's a burning fire inside Jared Goff to come out and come for blood this week. <laughs> and the Detroit Lions are just due for a win here. They're due for a win here. I mean, week five, you have the head coach crying at the podium. Week six, you have him calling out every single player on a goddamn team. I mean, it's all what, over what the did, place. What did the crying at the podium do for them last week against the Bengals? Nothing. They were god awful. I know. They were even the, worse. And then he came out to the podium and ripped the team to shreds. It's a roller coaster of emotions, and I just have I have a feeling that something brewing in Detroit here. Um, but no, in all seriousness, I just I, I don't think that this game is going to be the blowout that some people think. I mean, Detroit has had some games where they've been really good defensively. Um, and, you know, in particular, that game against the Ravens, which they held Lamar Jackson and company to 19 points. And if not for an, a 66-yard field goal from Justin Tucker, they very and a missed delay of game call, they very easily could have won that game. So we've seen them be competitive in some of these games. They had the lead against Aaron Rodgers and the Packers up until halftime in the Monday night game in week one. Uh, week two, rather. So they've played competitive in some of these games. 15 is just a lot of points for a team that I think is going to be able to keep things close. Maybe they lose by two touchdowns. Guess what? Two touchdowns is only 14, and I'm still in, in a good spot as far as that number is concerned. So I'm taking up all the points you give me. I'm taking the Lions plus 15 as oh my, my two-point play. This game might be 28 nothing by the mid-second quarter. As long as, be, gonna... as long as it's 28-14 when the game ends, I cover. <laughs> <laughs> good point. <laughs> All right, partner, hit me with your two-pointer and your three-pointer. I tell you, my two-point hour is wavering. I, I, I've been all over the place with these, with these picks. And, I, you know, I was looking at that Falcon-Dolphin game, and it's a weird line. I'm not going to go with that game, though, because I made a, I made another decision, now, a, a game I'm going to go with. A little bit more of a meaningful type of game. But, you know, I, I just wanted to get your opinion real fast on this Falcon-Dolphin line, in which the Falcons are in Miami and the Falcons are two and a half point favorites. Yeah, it's it's strange. It's strange. I can't tell you it's a I guess I can't Miami tell you the coming, reason why, but I also I guess Miami coming out of that London game without the buy, they're probably putting that into effect. Maybe they're thinking about this this trade with Tua possibly and Brissett's going to be starting. And and I was leaning towards almost you know looking at that and then I said, you know what? 
I gotta stay away from this game altogether. Yeah, it's, it's, too a, much it's phony a stay away from me because, like, I was gonna say, I, I I can't tell you why the line is what it is, but I also can't give you reasoning for why the line should be different. So for that reason, I would stay away. But you know what? I mean, Atlanta's offense is look. Matt Ryan has actually looked pretty good. They just don't have a defense. And they again, Calvin Ridley back. Kyle Pitts really had his first gigantic game as a pro last time out. So yeah. And they said before the bye week, you know, the Falcons were starting, and Matt Ryan himself was starting to pick up off this system. And they said after the bye, you may sit, might see that Falcon offense be even better. So we'll see. But so I'm going to go with a, with a divisional game, and I'm going with that Bengals Ravens game. And I tell you, I think the Bengals have really played well this entire season so far. Joe Burrow is throwing at least two touchdown passes in every game. He's coming back off that knee injury. I think he's looked terrific. They have weapons beyond weapons. Mixing that running back with Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, uh, um, uh, even Azuma has played well. So they, I tell you, they, they look good. Tyler Boyd in the slot. So they have weapons beyond weapons offensively. They can compete with the Ravens there. Their defense has, has played well, better than what was to be expected. Ravens, as we've mentioned, have a ton of injuries. They come off some, some unbelievable wins over the last couple of weeks culminating in, in that dominance against the Chargers. And I think, I don't think this is a letdown game so much as the fact that I think this is going to be a more competitive sort of game um, that the Ravens are going to be in. Because, look, that game last week was, was non-competitive. It was non-competitive. The game against the Colts, they had to come back from, from the brink of oblivion. You know, you know, so and, and and to have a you know miraculous win on the Colts, in which Frank Reich basically gave that win that entire fourth quarter, the way they played it in the victory formation, the Colts, pretty much that entire quarter. I just think this is going to be a tighter game, and the Bengals normally do play the Ravens tough, even in the Bengals' lean years. They normally do play the Ravens tough. And I'm looking at that six-point spread, and I'm looking at the Bengals plus six, and I think they have enough of an offense there, more than enough of an offense, to keep this game competitive. Again, at some point, you got to think that maybe these injuries catch up to the Ravens. They just lost their left tackle for the year, Ronnie Staley. That's a huge injury for them as well. They have 17 guys on IR, as we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast. So I'm thinking that the Bengals do compete here, and they keep it close. I don't know who wins the game, but I think this is this is six points that I'd rather take with the Bengals than give it up with the Ravens. So my two-point pick, Cincinnati getting six at Baltimore. You want me to make my three now, too? Yes. Okay. So my three-point pick, and I'm going to the, which is not yet a frozen tundra of Lambeau Field. I'm going to Lambeau Field, and I'm taking the Packers, and I'm laying the eight and a half. Because I think this game is an ass whipping in the making, much like that Cardinal game is. I'm not saying it's going to be 40 to 3, because I think Heineke is a little bit better of a quarterback than Davis Mills, and Washington has a little bit better of a roster than the Houston Texans. But I think this is the sort of game in which Aaron Rodgers coming off that tough game against the Bears, and although he found his way in that second half, Aaron Rodgers just to get beat up by that Bears defense. They came out with a win, but offensively, they didn't do a lot. Aaron Jones didn't have the big game. Devontae Adams didn't have a big game. They kind of just did it, you know, with the Lazards of the world. And uh, um, Rob Batanya's had a few big catches there. Defense played well. Justin Fields was terrible, I thought, for the Bears. And I think that kid needs to be sat down before he gets himself killed. But I do think that this is a pack of blowout game. I think this is a 38-13 type game for the Packers. 
I think the Packers' defense has been underrated. I think they played well, and they are missing Jair Alexander, and they had a couple of injuries on that defense. But the defense had played well. They played well against Cincinnati, and they played well against the Bears as well. So I think this is the type of game Washington, you could see it. They competed against uh, against Kansas City, but they also competed against Kansas City because of the turnovers that Kansas City gave them. You know, it was four turnovers there that Washington pretty much took advantage of. So I don't think Washington could do nearly enough here. I think that they come out, Green Bay does, with a blowout win here. Like I said, 35-13, 38-13, somewhere along that line. Give up the eight and a half. Don't even worry about it. Packers, Aaron Rodgers on a roll right now. Five and one uh, coming into this week. Five and one. They go six and one. No problem. Packers, Aaron Rodgers against Washington. Lady eight and a half. Three-point pick. All right. So you're in the business of ass whoopings this weekend. I'm in the business of some ass whoopings. All right. I'll get my three-point play here. The one that matters the most. Because like I said before, point distribution is the name of the game. And I got to tell you, I, I hate you, – you can't go with three favorites. You can't go with three underdogs. You just can't do it. And I already picked two underdogs, so that means I got to go with a favorite with my three-point play, right? I wouldn't wrong. say that. Why? Wrong. wrong. No, I'm That's telling you, it's wrong. It's wrong. It is Because wrong. I'm in the business of taking points. Underestimate my teams. I'll take the points. And who knows? Maybe I won't even need the points. Maybe my dogs went outright. So okay? as we're getting close to Halloween, you call that trick or treat I'm taking candy. I'm taking points. Take I'm give, me, give me all the points I can get. I will eat them up, digest it, and take some more the following week. That's the way I look at things. And I am going to one of these atrocious 4 o'clock games down in Raymond James Stadium in Tampa Bay. Ooh. And I see the Chicago Bears getting 12 and a half points. Now let me tell you something, okay? This is just, I'll say it flat out. Vegas is stupid here. This line just doesn't make sense, Rob, and I'll explain why. I'm not going to give an over overly uh, detailed Steph. breakdown of why I think the Bears are going to cover. I just don't think the line makes any sense whatsoever, and here's why. Last week, when the line opened up for Bears and Packers at Soldier Field, the Packers were three-and-a-half-point favorites, right? Now, usually home field mean gives you three points. So you're saying if the game was at Lambeau Field, the Packers would have been six-and-a-half-point favorites. Mm -hmm. Now this game is in Tampa Bay, and the Buccaneers are 12-and-a-half-point favorites. So you're telling me that if the Bucs and Packers faced each other at a neutral site, that the Bucs would be six-and-a-half-point favorites over the Packers? Well, if you want to look at it like that. I mean, That's know. the way I look at this game. I just think that they're overrating the hell out of the Bucs in this game. And you're seeing the line the way it was last week against the Packers as opposed to this week against the Buccaneers. I just don't think it makes any sense. Now, look, Todd Bowles has the type of defensive scheme to be able to shut down a rookie and make them uncomfortable. You know he loves blitz. No doubt. But what I look and at is I look at Justin Fields' legs, and I look at him potentially having his biggest day as a pro on his feet. He gets blitzed, knows he's in trouble because of that horrendous offensive line, and looks to cut the ball upfield. I think that Matt Nagy finally comes to his senses and lets the kid rock and roll and stops being conservative because you are going to get nowhere in this kid's development unless you take the reins off and let him go to work. So 12 and a half points is just too much. I don't think the line makes any sense. I think the Bears are able to keep it close. I looked it up before, but I didn't write it down. I looked it up at work, and it, I, I didn't have time to write it down. But Tom Brady, in his career, 
does not have the best record when it comes to covering double-digit spreads, which is quite surprising because usually Tom Brady and company takes care of business when they're supposed to take care of business. But he's not the best at covering big-time spreads. So my three-point play, I'm taking a 12-and-a-half with the Chicago Bears. I'm taking a 15 with the Detroit Lions as my two-point play. I'm taking a five with the Seattle Seahawks as my one-point play. Add that up, that's 32-and-a-half points that I am putting on a plate and devouring this week to try to pick up some ground in this pickup segment because God knows I need it. <laughs> and I just gave a clinic on how to make picks with a little bit of conviction. This is a horrendous card of games this week, and I still managed to give you three plays. This might be my most confident week yet with such a shitty card, a bunch of uninteresting matchups, and horrendous teams playing at primetime hours. I was able to find three games where I'm going to actually slaughter them and gain some meaningful ground in this pick'em segment. So there you have it. Bada bing, bada boom. Let's ride, ladies and gentlemen. I like it, buddy. I like it. All right. So where do you want to go now? We're done with the NFL, I guess. Unless you, no, we yeah, we're done with the NFL. We're you know why you're done NFL. with the NFL? Because you are shaking in your boots at how confident I was in making those picks that you just like, rid yeah. your mind to football. Yeah, that, that's no, what I think. I, I am. I got a little fear right now. Well, I will do want to point out one thing. The Madison Square Garden is alive and well. The Knicks, uh, they 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 started out with an 8-0 run. Let the Celtics get back in the game and take an eight-point lead. And then the Knicks started storming back towards the end of the second quarter. They headed to the halftime break, trailing by five points, I believe, 50 to 45 as they go into the half. Well, um, it's the same, it's the same story with the Knicks. They don't have look, they don't have that outside shooting. They don't have those sharpshooters. They don't have those Clay Thompsons of the world. And I know Clay Thompson's injured. I get all that. I'm just saying it's, you know, as far as well, it's actually it's actually funny. You know. Oh, it's 58-54 going into the half. So they're trailing by four. But I'm, I have this game on in the background as we're recording here. And it's funny because you, you saw how effective it was when they brought an extra defender in to close on Julius Randle when he got the ball in the postseason. You see how effectively that worked. But you and I both acknowledge that if you play that, we not the teams are not going to play that way and be that aggressive defensively in the regular season. They're only going to do that come playoff time. What they're doing is they're actually forcing a ton of attention on Evan Fournier at the perimeter because they know that that's the one guy who's going to knock down the shots from the outside. The shot. So they're yep. trying to take away his outside game, and the ball's been in Julius Randle's hands. He's played pretty well. He's actually shot pretty decently from the outside. But again, that defensive pressure that was so effective in taking him out of his game is not being applied tonight. So, look, the Knicks are going to be competitive. I mean, they added Kemba Walker. Kemba Walker is not the Kemba Walker that he was five years ago, but he's going to be a veteran presence, be able to run point and be a, a true point guard. You have Derrick Rose and his leadership full right. of full season. So I expect the Knicks to take some tiny strides again this year. Are they a better team roster-wise this year than they were last year? I think they are. Yeah, I think they are because you're and in, last year you're in year number you're, you're in year number two of Emmanuel quickly. You expect him to grow a little bit more. Year mm -hmm. three of RJ Barrett, you expect him to grow a little bit more. Hopefully Julius Randle has taken his offseason to kind of solidify his game a little bit after he fell short in the postseason. And like I said, you got Kemba Walker in here. You got Fournier in here. You bring back Alec Burks. And let's I, hope I, I think this is a pretty season, decent team. Let's hope a full season of Derrick Rose and Kemba Walker can maybe get Obi Toppin going. Yes. The one thing that concerns you as a Knicks fan is that the other teams in the Eastern Conference got that much better this year. I mean, you can make the argument that the team that had the best offseason out of anybody was the Chicago Bulls. They bring in mm -hmm. Nikola Vucevic. They brought in DeMar DeRozan. They brought in Lonzo Ball. They got mm -hmm. Kobe White still, although he's hurt to start the season. So they got a they got a pretty good squad going on in Chicago. You obviously you got the Sixers, and they're still going to be there with or without Ben Simmons. They're still going to be in the mix. You got Brooklyn, who with or without Kyrie is still going to be in the mix. Milwaukee looked like the defending champions that they are last night. 
Uh, you got the Miami Heat who added Kyle Lowry to go along with Jimmy Butler. The Atlanta Hawks are going to be there again, running it back with the same squad again that made some noise in the playoffs last year. So uh, the Pacers are pretty decent. So it's a pretty loaded Eastern Conference. Even though the Knicks got better, a lot of other teams in the conference got better as well. But I still expect this team to be competitive and maybe maybe get to the playoffs. So they, I think I still think they're a playoff team. Are they a four seed? No, but they are a seven or eight seed. I do think they are. And I think, you know, you just never know what some of these teams might fall off. Even a team like the Sixes, you know, there's so much upheaval going on there with Ben Simmons, man. He got thrown out of practice yesterday. Joel Embiid spoke out against him again, as he had in the past. Did it again. You know, they got to they gotta come to some sort of a uh, some sort of a reckoning day with Ben Simmons because it doesn't look like it's going to work with him on the roster. But everything you hear is they're asking for three first-round picks and three players. And honestly, he's a good player, but the guy doesn't shoot. Refuses to shoot. Guy passes up seven footings. So, look, he's a malcontent right now. Doc Rivers had to throw him out because, he, first of all, he had a cell phone in his sweatpants pocket as he's practicing. Didn't want to go through the defensive drills with the team. And Doc Rivers threw him out. So this is a, you know, and, and even with the Nets, Andrew, do you see that? And look, and I know Kyrie Irving missed some games. Last year, but look, with him in the lineup, they're arguably, listen, arguably the best team in that Eastern Conference, even though Milwaukee won the championship. Uh, you know, if Kyrie Irving doesn't come back at all, you know, you're going to have games where Kevin Durant's going to be resting. And then you look at that net team and, and let me know what they look like. No? I mean, you're going to have James Harden and whatever else. Yeah, but you know what? You saw last last night, you, you did see that Patty Mills is a real nice addition for this team. Um, Blake Griffin is, is still a good veteran presence, can give you some meaningful minutes. I'm not sure how much LaMarcus Aldridge is going to be able to contribute because he just looked completely lost last night. He did not play a good game. Um, and one thing that concerns me about the Nets, and you talk about the Knicks and that lack of an outside shooter, man, ever since getting rewarded with a big contract, Joe Harris has stunk. No good. And he was That's one of the good. saving graces for that team with a lockdown yeah. Kyle Corver type outside shooter. And Joe Harris has been god awful since they gave him a big time extension. So that's a little concerning to me. If if yeah. he cleans it up and they have a go to lockdown shooter, I think it helps things out. But those are the types of guys that the Knicks need: a Joe Harris, a Kyle Corver. Mm-hmm. Those guys could knock down those threes at any point. You know that sharpshooter from the outside. Yeah, uh, Danny that's Green. Sort, Danny Green. That's another guy from the Sixes. That's the type of guys that the Knicks need desperately. They need a guy like that. You got to hope that maybe they bring him, bring in a guy like that sometime around the trading deadline or before that, maybe they go out and make another deal. Well, that's, that's what you're hoping that Fournier can be. But if, if Boston's recipe for taking away that outside shot is what a lot of teams are going to mimic their defensive strategy towards, then he's not going to provide that. And right. the Knicks might find themselves in a similar boat than they did last year. So it's going to be interesting, though, but expect them to be competitive. If there's one thing you know about the Knicks and a Tom Thibodeau-led team is that they're going to bust their ass every time they step on the floor, and they're going to be in yes. every game. And that's really all you can ask for. That's they're really all play, you can They're ask going for. to play. They're going to give you an honest defensive effort every game. They're going to give you effort 60, uh, 48 minutes every game. thousand percent. So yep. they, they, it, they're going to bring it every game, and they're going to be athletic. They're going to be a bit more athletic with guys that quickly – and, and, and OB Toppin, and you hope that those kids take that next step. That's mm-hmm. the key, is these kids get even better this year because that's what's going to make the Knicks even better. And then we talk about these other teams that got better. Well, look, let's look at Quickly and OB Toppin, who have both have a world of potential, especially Quickly. So 
uh, let's see if they get better. Maybe quickly becomes that outside shooter. Maybe he becomes that guy, that sixth man off the bench. And, you know, so we'll see. We'll see with the Knicks. And again, with the Nets, I, I still feel like Kyrie's coming back. I still feel like he's going to get vaccinated because he never said in his press conference the other day that he wasn't going to get vaccinated. He just said he needed to do his research and his studies up on it. That's what he said. I still think he's going to get vaccinated within the next week or two. I think it's going to happen and he'll be in a net uniform. Well, I, really he, feel that well I, I see a lot of people out there that are saying, well, there's no way that Kyrie gets vaccinated because he, he came out and he, he spoke against, like you said, he didn't say that he wasn't going to get vaccinated, but he spoke very harshly against the vaccine mandates and he, Mandate. would look like, and he would look like a fraud if he were to get vaccinated. Now, let me tell you something. Kyrie has made it abundantly clear. He does not give a shit what anyone thinks about him. No. So to think that that's going to deter him from getting vaccinated, you know what I think will get him vaccinated? If the Nets start the season out two and five and Kevin Durant calls him on the phone and says, hey, asshole, get the shot and come play with us because we need you. That I think yeah. will maybe turn him around and get him to get vaccinated. Well, Because like you, you know, said, he never said that he was firmly against it. He said he was a, a, against the mandates, which a lot of people are. But that's a different you gotta, discussion. You got to wonder what Kevin Durant thinks of the whole thing. Honestly, I know they ask him about it, but he's not going to come out against Kyrie. But Kyrie was the guy that did bring him. You know, well, again, just like the Nets front office, Kevin Durant should have known what he was getting into bed with. I mean, you couldn't have foreseen a pandemic and vaccine mandates and how that was going to shake up. But you knew that this guy was it wasn't going to be smooth sailing with this guy. I mean, look at everything that happened last season. Look at everything that unfolded in Boston. Look at everything that unfolded in uh, Kyrie's later years in Cle- Cleveland. I mean, it just follows him everywhere he goes. So you, you should have known the writing was on the wall. The writing was yeah, on the wall. Oh, no let's doubt. get into that uh, that other team in Madison Square Garden, shall we? That's our New York Rangers. And, um, I, you know, we were obviously recording – as the Rangers opened up their season against the Washington Capitals, and you and I both made it known that we were just totally against starting Alexander Georgiev, still are, um, still will be, and you rewarded Igor Shosturkin in the offseason. You didn't give him a bridge contract. You gave him a long-term contract to be a starting goaltender, and the fact that he wasn't starting on opening night was just it, it was it was just bad. It was just bad all around. Uh, but the Rangers have played three games since then, and Igor has started all three. And he's looked terrific. He's looked terrific. I mean, they had a game against the Stars in which in the first period, they didn't look great. They cleaned it up. The second period of that game against the Stars, Rob, is probably the best period of hockey I've seen the Rangers play in about a year and a half. I mean, they controlled play. They got high percentage, high quality offensive chances almost every time they possessed the puck in the offensive zone. Uh, Ended up losing in overtime on a really bad turnover by Artemi Panarin and obviously a, a bad defensive play by Jacob Trouba getting back, uh, but they get the point. But then two really good wins against the Montreal Canadiens in the Bell Center, which has not been the kindest of arenas to the Rangers in recent years. They go into Montreal and get a big win. They go into Toronto and play the Maple Leafs, which are a much more skilled and talented team than the Rangers are. And they pretty much dominated the entire pace of play. Uh, and the Rangers are without Ryan Strom and Capo Caco, which we give Ryan Strom a lot of shit, Rob, but losing him is evident because now you're starting to see on your second power play unit, you're starting to see guys like Greg McKegg getting meaningful minutes, and it's really Brighton not a Hunt. recipe for success. Brighton Hunt <laughs> playing the right wing on the second power play unit, it's, it's not what you want to see. So those two losses are, are a little apparent now. But the one thing that we can say, and people are going to mock it, the, the analytic nerds are going to mock it, but – the Rangers are a little bit of a tougher team to play against, and the goaltending has been terrific. And the Rangers team 
When they had Henrik Lundqvist in his prime, there were a lot of times where the defense was horrific and they couldn't generate any offensive chances, but they went where the goaltender took them. And Igor Shesterkin has been terrific. They got to clean it up. They got to play better. They will. We mentioned how the beginning of the season was not going to be the Rangers that you're going to see maybe 50 games in. There's going to take some time for them to gel and grow under Gallant's new system. But, I mean, the, the – the overarching story with their season so far has really been how terrific Igor Shesterkin has been because that this was going to be the prove-it year for him. They rewarded him with a big contract. You're our guy. Go out there and carry us. And he's done it. And he's stolen. He stole two points against Toronto. I was at a wedding on Friday night, so I, I didn't get to uh, – Saturday night, rather, so I didn't get to see the game against Montreal. From what I heard, he was terrific in that game as well. I saw highlights of a couple of saves that he made. Um so you can even make the argument, I guess, that he might have stolen two points against Montreal. But he's been terrific. He really has. And Artemi Panarin just shows you how good he is because he's probably had one of the worst stretches of games he's had so far in his Rangers career. And he's still got three points in four games. So that's another that's another little. Yeah, they, they were they were dom- they were dominated. They were dominated. They were dominated in that game. The Rangers, they really was. If it wasn't for Igor, uh, they had that, that game could have easily been six one. You know, so they played a better third period, but the faceoff fans were, I think the faceoffs were, what, 54 to 13? And they happened to win the last faceoff in overtime. They had before the goal. Bef- That's before the, the that actually just pushed it forward, the faceoff. Yeah, just pushed it forward to Panarin, and Panarin buried it. And before that point, they hadn't won a faceoff since the first period. Right. So they went right. 30, 34 minutes of hockey without winning a faceoff. That's it's. No, I'm sorry. My math is off. They, 44 they, they, minutes of hockey without winning a face minutes, off. Yeah. That's brutal. That's brutal. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, utterly dominated. And they were in it because of the goaltender. Now, here's a good question for you. And I'm not saying that this was the right decision. But let's say the front office and Gallant came into the season saying, hey, our approach going into the season is going to have – is to have Igor start 50 games and Georgiev start the other 32 games. Does the way that Igor has played so far change that decision? Or you think they stick to their guns if that's what they wanted to do? And maybe you have Igor play 60 and Georgiev play 22. You know, I'm hoping that tomorrow night's game in Nashville, that Igor's back in net there. I, I don't. I, I want to get on a little bit of a roll early on here because getting points early in this league is important, Andrew. You don't want to be playing from behind. No, it's two years in a row and, that the Rangers right. dug themselves too big of a hole to get you, out of. You you dig yourself a hole that early on, and it's tough to dig out because then you got too many teams you got to leap over. Well, not to mention, too, the teams that they've been picking up points against. I mean, I know Montreal is in the Eastern Conference, but they're in a different division. And you picked up a point against Dallas. You picked up two against Toronto. You hopefully pick up two against Nashville. That affords you the possibility of not picking up all possible points against the teams that you're going to be chasing, which is the Washingtons and the Pittsburgh. Right? You can't. You can't rely on winning all of those games by dropping games out of conference. You need to take advantage of the games out of conference and steal as many points as you can, which they have so far. So you're right. They got to get in a little bit of a roll. And what better way than to put the goaltender who's stolen you these points in net? I mean, they've had two days off. They played on Monday. They get Tuesday and Wednesday off, and they're back at it tomorrow. I don't see – I wouldn't be shocked if Georgiev did play, but I'm with you. I would start Igor. Yeah, and listen, I mentioned it last week. Back in the heyday, Hank was playing 70 games. Regular season. 
and still going through the playoffs with them as well. So there's no excuse not to play him. And getting better in the playoffs as the season, as the series would go on. <laughs> Playing his best right. games in game sixes and sevens right. rather than game ones and twos. Right, right. So look, a, a lot of goaltenders, and again, I think they're only, the only reason why they probably will not do it is because I think they're a little cautious with Igor because of a couple of the injuries that he suffered over the last couple of years. He had the, the injury in Carolina when they had those, uh, the, the shortened season coming back from the uh, the whole pandemic and yeah, everything. Yeah, when he went to the bubble. He got, and then he got injured a bit last year. So, you know, I think maybe they're a little cautious that way. And at the same time, you know, you also got to see what you have in Georgia, of Andrew. You got to see what you have in that kid. I- I'm sorry. You-, you really have to see what you have in that kid. Because I- I'm not overly confident in that kid in net. I'm just not. No, no. I was when he first came up. Not anymore. Yeah, he's not been anymore. exposed now. He- he- he's been exposed. So, so that's – see, that's – but that's a tough balancing act for a coach because when you have a guy like Georgiev, right, you 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 know that if you use him sparingly, that's when you're going to have him at his best because the more he plays, the more he gets exposed. But at the same time, you have to make sure you get him enough reps where he's not rusty when he does come in. So it's a tough right. balancing act. I mean, how do you – what do you prioritize, not exposing him or keeping him fresh? So that when he does go in there, he's at least a little bit more effective. Exactly. Right. It's a tough but, balancing look, act. I think Kincaid's in the minors, right? Is he he's in the minors with them, Kincaid? Um, I believe so. Well, the the whole reason they picked them picked him up was to leave him was so they had a goalie that they can leave unprotected in the draft, and obviously he didn't get taken. So I'm assuming he's still at Hartford. I would imagine he is. I would have to think he is. And Kincaid actually played well last year, you know, in some spurts. But he was another he's guy. Pro- the more he played, the more he got exposed. No, but he's a professional goaltender that can give you some quality starts. He was a starting goaltender for the Devils. You know, it's not like this guy's a bum, and we're not asking him to play a lot, but we, we're asking him just to be better than Georgiev. And to be honest with you, at this point, that's not hard. Because Georgiev was god-awful that first game against Washington. He was god-awful. All right. So I'm going to do a little something that's outside the box here. And it kind of just came to me on the fly. We're going to do a little bit of a rapid fire. It's going to be a New York sports edition. Rapid oh, fire. boy. Okay. Let's start off with the New York Rangers. Do they make the playoffs this year? Yes or no? Yes. Take your fandom out I, of it. Just I, your I'm going to say one thing, though. I, and, and this is something I wanted to bring up now. I, there's got to come a point where these young players start getting an identity in this league. And by that, I mean, start making some plays in which they're noticeable. Because I'm not noticing Heedle, even Kako and Lafreniere at this point. I'm not noticing guys like Lafreniere and Heedle streaking down the wing and, and untiming, you know, uh, uh, unleashing, you know, a top shelf goal. I haven't seen that. I'm seeing guys that are getting into the corner, trying to play some defense. I think they're still thinking about the game and not playing it instinctively. And at some point, these young kids have to start elevating their game, Andrew. It's, yeah. it's that time. And I was talking to a few friends of mine, and I, I kind of brought up this point. You know, Rangers fans said this for the longest time about Rick Nash. When Rick Nash was here, I mean, he had one season where he scored 34 goals, but they got him to be the premier scoring option. And for the better part of his Rangers tenure, he wasn't that. 
he played excellent defense and he was tremendous on special teams and he played smart, high IQ hockey, kept himself out of the penalty box, was one of the leaders and go-to guys to turn to in that locker room. But the Rangers didn't get him to do all that. They got him to score goals. And that's the same thing that can be said about a guy like Capo Caco. For the first two games that I watched, again, I wasn't able to watch game three against Montreal because I was at a wedding. But the first two games, I thought he was a lot more noticeable in terms of his special teams. He was tremendous defensively, which is something you could not say. It, it, it looked almost as if in his first season it, or his first two seasons that his lack of offensive production was affecting him defensively, too. But he's become a much better defensive player. But again, you didn't draft the guy second overall to be a terrific special teams player and be a defensive player. You got him to do the things that you were just speaking of, which is streak down the wing and pot one top shelf. Take control of the puck, make a defender miss, and shoot one through the wickets. Right, right, right. Avoid a defender and make a nice outlet pass to start an odd man rush. That's the kind of things you want to see as a playmaker from a number two overall pick. So even though he's gotten better in certain areas of his play, he's still not reaching that potential. He hasn't developed, as you said, an identity yet. And that's something right. you want to look for. And obviously this injury is, is not what you wanted to see. And, you know, there's a lack of depth now at the wing. And, you know, looking back on it, Monday morning quarterbacking, you would have just carried Kravtsov on the roster because they could use him on the wing right now. But obviously, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. But, you know, hopefully this is not something that keeps Kako out long term. Uh, I believe th- three games he has to miss because of the designation they gave him. Yeah, you just never know with these injuries. They tell you upper body, lower body. They never tell you specifically well, what, what kind of, the injury is. Well, what kind is. of play was, was he hurt on? Because I didn't see the play. I, I don't even know the play he was hurt on. You know, they don't give you much with these injuries in the NHL, Andrew. They don't really say too much. So as far as where he was hurt, I don't even know where he was hurt. Well, I, I was I have a group chat with a couple of my buddies who are Ranger fans, and they told me that he left the game after a hit from Romanov, but I didn't get to see the hit, where it was, what part of the body looked like it was afflicted by the hit. So I, I don't know. But I know whatever designation they gave him, he, he's got to miss a minimum of three games, I believe, is what I read. I think that's what uh, Vince Mercogliano said, who does a terrific job covering him. Um so, all right, let's get back to the rapid fire. So you're saying yes. You're saying that they do make the playoffs. I, I think this is the year they make the playoffs. Okay. Here's and I'll another. tell you, you know, I, 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 before we go on, because I'm, I'm thinking about more and more Rangers stuff right now, you know, I, first of all, I love the Truba-DeAndre Miller combination. I love that first, first defensive pairing there. Love it. Leave it alone. I love it. I really do. Two physical guys, two guys that can move the puck. Um, and, and Jacob Truba takes a lot of shit from the fan base. I, I don't feel that way about, about Jacob Truba. I really don't. I get m- maybe the money. Uh, that's it, my main complaint with him. Right. I understand, but that's not his fault. Any no, it's not his fault. But money. one thing that one thing that you could say, he can move the puck, but his, his offensive production well, since he's gotten here has been virtually non-existent, and he has got to be one of the slowest skaters I've ever seen. Yeah, I, I get it, but you know what? He's physical for what they need on that team. Look, he, he's not asked to really play much in the power play. That's Adam Fox. That's going to be Nils Lundqvist. It's going to be guys of that ilk. We know that. So we're not asking a lot of offense from Truba. There were games last year where Truba was good offensively. He's got a big shot. Learned to take it more. You know, look, he's bringing along uh, DeAndre Miller with him now. I thought they they played a terrific game in Toronto. I thought those two guys, after Shesterka, were the next best two players on the ice for the Rangers, to be honest with you. 
Uh, and he actually saved the game in overtime, Truba. After Shesterkin made that those two big stops on Austin Matthews, a puck was was going directly right through the crease, and Truba swept it out. So got it out of harm's way. So I think he takes a lot of shit because of the contract. You're right. I get it. But at the same time, it's not his fault. The guy, I think the guy's played hard. He's played physical. He's played tough. He's the sort of guy that we've been looking for the last couple of years. So let's give him a little bit of a break. But so go ahead. Go on with, uh, with your rapid fire. So I think they do make the playoffs. I really do. Okay. Here's a, here's a tough one. Put you on a spot here. Okay. Is... Igor Shesterkin, the best goaltender in the Metro. <laughs> you can't. He's too young right now. You could say that about the, the kid on the island, Sorokin. I think he's terrific, too. He's another good goalie. But is he the best goalie in the Metro? Well, the reason I ask is because, for the most part, you got a lot of goal, you young You have a lot of young Metro. goaltenders. You got Tristan Jari. You have Carter Hart. You have Shesterkin. You have Sorokin. Carter Hart had a terrible year last year. He, he, he had a terrible year. Yeah. Carter Hart was terrible. Uh, Christian Jarry, look, he, he, Hurricanes don't really have a great goalie. Columbus, Flyers, Capitals, Devils, Mackenzie Blackwood. Man. I mean, it, the Caps don't necessarily have a goalie. They kind of just switch around uh, with Samsonov uh, and, and Vanacek. And, and Vanacek, yeah, I, I know. So, I mean, yeah, I guess the argument could be made that he can be the best goalie in the Metropolitan. I, I, I think, yeah, I think he can. I think right now, let's put it this way. Out of those eight teams, if you're starting a draft right now, just amongst those eight teams, who's the first goalie taken? How about we do it that way? Probably Shesterkin and Sorokin. Yeah, yeah. Right? So, yeah. And look, there's a reason why the Rangers paid him the money that they paid him. We thought we thought maybe that was a little too much too soon, but you know, if he stays healthy, this kid is. Well, I don't know if you caught a lot of the the. I watched a lot of the Islanders Blackhawks game last night. Sorokin was terrific in that game. Yeah. He was unbelievable. He, he was unbelievable. He's going to be another good one. He's going to be a very good one. Yep. So, all right, go ahead. All right, this one's for the Knicks. Hmm. Are the Knicks going to be in the playoffs? Yes or no. Yeah, I think the Knicks have a good enough roster that they're going to be in the playoffs. And I think the Knicks roster is not complete yet. I still think they're going to add there. I, and I think they're going to add that shooter that they do need. I really do. Look, you know, if everybody stays healthy, and who's to say? Because you got Derrick Rose, who's, you know, an older point guard in this league. And you have Kemba Walker, who's hurt a lot. So, you know, injuries aside... Yeah, I think right now this is a playoff roster. Yes, I, I do. Injuries aside, of course. If this is part of like a rapid fire too, if the Knicks don't win a playoff series, is this season a failure? Because you figured that's the next step up, right? You got to the first round. You got you, knocked you, up. You got knocked have, out. You'd have to think it, but. Look, we, we don't think they're going to be a four seed. And if they're a back-end seed, well, seven or eight, eight, six, they seven draw or eight. Milwaukee first right. round, they're you not know, winning that series. No, they're not winning that series. So it depends. So reasonably, know, reasonably speaking. Reasonably so speaking, on the, if, the if they happen to be miraculously a three, four, five seed, yeah, maybe you expect them to win a series. But if they're at the back end on that, uh, you know, on that playoff seeding, then yeah, it's going to be a little difficult. Okay. So here's a couple for the New York Mets, and 
obviously as the off season, once the regular season, uh, once the playoffs end and the off season is in full swing, we'll kind of break this down even more, but just like your way too early predictions, who's the manager of the New York Mets in the 2021 season, 2022 wow. season, rather. You know, I've thought about this over the last well, few and, days. And, 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 the, and the general manager, general manager, president of baseball ops, whoever they end up hiring, who's going to be that person? Who's going to be the manager? I'm, I'm thinking that the general manager is going to come from the Dodger organization. And I think somehow, some way, they're going to convince Josh Burns to come here. Because, you know, Steve Cohen, one thing that he did say was that he wanted to duplicate what the Dodgers have done. And what better way to do it than to bring in somebody from, from inside the Dodger organization. Right. So I kind of think that he was the guy that they wanted last year. Josh Burns didn't come. I thought maybe it was too new of a situation maybe for Josh Burns. But maybe they convinced him to come with the right titles that they give him and the right money. I do believe Josh Burns does come here. And if that's the case, you're looking at a, an analytical manager right now. So you're not looking at Buck Showalter, Bruce Bochy, one of those guys, do they bring in a guy of, and you're hearing Mike Schiltz, another guy, but Mike Schilt evidently got fired because he wanted to go away from the analytical uh, process. Yes. So you can't even think about bringing him in because if they're going to duplicate the Dodgers and duplicate all these heavy analytics um, and bring in a guy from the Dodger organization, then it, it's going to have to be uh, some sort of a, a younger manager and who knows? It could be somebody within the Dodger organization. It could be somebody in, in, in the minor leagues for the Dodgers. I don't know all the names, but I, I could actually see them bringing in a younger manager, more analytically driven. As far as a name, I, I just don't have a name yet. I, I don't. I just don't think, I don't think it's going to be a veteran guy, though. I really don't. I don't. I think it's going to be an analytically driven guy. Um. And when you're talking about that, you're talking about a complete crapshoot because there's not even a, a blueprint that you can go by. It's just kind of whoever, hey, this guy is young and understands the analytics. It just it might be someone completely yeah. out of left field. So that's uh, OK. Yeah. Now let's get into a uh, little bit of uh, positional talk here. Who's a starting right fielder for the Mets on opening day of 2022? Wow. Well, it's not going to be Michael Conforto. And here's, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to run through positions on both the Mets and the Yankees. Just give me names. Rapid fire. Starting with right fielder oh, on the Mets. I mean, rapid fire. I'm going through the whole major leagues who the possibility could be as a, a you know. Well, not, not that you're going to rattle off names real quickly, but I just want I just want your way too early name prediction. I don't even want reasoning behind it. Just give me the name, what your gut's telling you. Oh, my God. Jesus Christ, you really got me. I mean, that can't be rapid fire. That's something you got to give me a couple of, you know. I'll give you a little bit of time to answer it, yeah. Uh, that's that's a tough one, man. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. Uh, you know, you, you, you go through some of the teams and you're looking at guys that, potentially could be available. I mean, because, you know, you're looking at teams that might be salary dumping at the same time as far as an outfielder. Well, let's put it this way. How about we go with the fact that it's a possibility. They do not tend to Conforto. They do uh, give him the qualifying offer and he takes it much like Syndergaard. I got to tell you, I, I don't, I don't think he takes it. 
So here's what I'm going to say to that. <clears throat> I don't you think he takes it, but I was going to actually thinking about this. The Mets are in such a good spot. And this is why I, this I think goes hand in hand with who they want to hire as president of baseball operations, because I really think that it's an appealing spot to be in for whoever's name is in the mix. If Conforto turns down the qualifying offer, then you're talking about the Mets getting draft compensation from whatever team signs him a compensatory draft pick for not being able to keep him. Right. You also have your normal first round pick that I believe is the 14th pick in the draft. And you're also getting the 10th pick back in this year's draft or the 11th pick rather for not being able to sign Kumar Rocker. So all of a sudden you have two premium draft picks and then a compensatory draft pick for losing out on Conforno that you have to really rebuild this farm system. You have to think that that's really appealing to your president of baseball operations, whoever that's going to be, or your general manager, because this farm system that's been a shortcoming of this of this team and their inability to develop within the farm system or have any sort of organizational depth. What a better way to do it than having those picks at your disposal in the very first year. Yeah, but I, I, I know you're giving me a right fielder, but I'm going to give you something that might come down and I'm looking at a trade. And I'm looking at the Minnesota Twins, and I'm looking at – I'm thinking that the Mets' possibility is to trade Jeff McNeil for Byron Buxton. Mm, that guy can't stay on the field. When he's on the field, he's terrific, but he can't terrific. stay on the field. I understand. I get it. I get it. But if that, if that offer's on the table, do you take it? Jeff McNeil for Buxton straight up, I would yeah. – drive Jeff to Minnesota and then I would carry Buxton on my back back to New York. But I just, it could be a possibility because they're not going to sign Buxton. They're not going to sign him and they get a couple of more years of control with McNeil. It's a possibility. So I can go that way and say, okay, you're going to put him in, in, in center field. You're going to use uh, Brandon Nimmo as your left fielder. As far as a right fielder, you'll probably wind up using Dominic Smith as trade bait to bring in a right fielder. Who that might be, hmm. I don't know. It's tough to tell. Well, with all these moves that you have in the vault here, I mean, not saying that they're all coming to fruition. Well, I, but do with, think, I do think they're signing Javi Baez. I well, think with, that's with all these moves that you have on the horizon, wouldn't it be imperative to sign a president of baseball operations like yesterday? Well, it's me now. I'm making the move. <laughs> but there's a lot of work to be done, and they don't seem to be making any sort of progress from this front. Now, I'm not blaming I'm, them I'm, for missing out on I'm guys like Stern move. and Bean, but they need to be able to – they need to put the foot on the gas a little bit here because there is a lot of work that needs to be done here. Yeah, No, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. When we knew that coming into the season now, especially with the pitching staff, I could see Syndergaard coming back. I, I could, could too. He would accept. The, I mean, he pretty much openly stated that he would accept the qualifying he, offer. But he, he again, eighteen point. Well, it's gone down to five hundred k. So now it's eighteen point yeah. four million as a qualifying offer. Do yeah. you give that to a guy who who has pitched one inning in two years? I don't know if you do that. So they might. I, I think my gut with Syndergaard is that they probably bring him back on a one year deal. Maybe it's a base of around ten million, but it's hev- heavily incentive based where he gets a $2.5 million kicker if he hits 160 innings and if he strikes out a certain amount of guys or has a certain amount of wins or makes an all-star team, he gets another $2 million kicker. Like, make this make this deal incentive-laden so that, you know, he has an incentive to pitch well and build up his value to hit free agency at, at his peak instead of as an unknown commodity. 
Um, here's another roster question. Who's a starting shortstop for the New York Yankees in 2022? Mm. And OB top and throws it down to give the Knicks a one point lead as the third quarter winds down two minutes. Uh, left in the third. I, I think the Yankees go out and sign Corey Seager. That's my thing too. That's what I think they do. I do. But that means, in my opinion, I think that that means that Rizzo is not is no longer back. Yeah, but I, I don't think they. I don't think Rizzo is is a guy that they have to have back. You know what I mean? I don't think he's that guy that they have to have back. I don't think he is. Well, if you're signing Corey Seager to play shortstop, then you're moving Glaber over to second. Right. DJ is going to play first, and you, yes. I guess Urshela stays at third. Urshela stays at third. So you're not really losing out on Rizzo. You maybe trade no. Voight to get an arm. Probably trade or, Voight or an to arm. get some sort of an arm or a couple of mid-level prospects. Or, I mean, yeah, I, I was going to say not an, an arm or a, or a center fielder. You're not getting much for a guy that has some power but is always hurt. No. He's always hurt. You know what I mean? He's always hurt. So as far as their shortstop now, well, yeah, Stiga. Yeah. I think Seager makes the most sense. Left-handed bat. He's still young. Terrific hitter. Clutch hitter. You know, a lot of postseason experience, obviously. You know, he plays in a big city already, so he'll be able to handle New York like he handled L.A. No problem. Uh, okay. So, yeah. Um, Knowing what you know now and seeing what you've seen so far, what will the New York Giants record be at the end of the 2021 season? 3-14. and 14. Knowing what you know and seeing what you've seen, what will the New York Jets record be at the end of 2021? Three and 14. I think they have identical records. Okay. Obviously, John Gruden threw a monkey wrench into this whole equation, but uh, who's the first coach that's fired? Nick Sirianni. Yeah? Yep. In his first year? I think he's terrible. <laughs> I've seen enough of that guy, and I've said this. This guy's a terrible coach. Even after he goes for two and covers for us in our pickup I, segment I last week, that made him even Shouldn't... stupider. But you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think I think he's a, I think he looks overmatched. I think he looks overmatched. He's not even trying to get a running game going. He's not even trying to run the ball. The people, the Philadelphia fans are in, are in the stands holding up signs. Not that you suck. Fuck you. No, it's please run the ball. <laughs> I seen signs. It's it's hilarious. I've been saying it for, and I'm in on I'm in on the Eagles. I watch a lot because I got Jalen Hurts on a lot of my fantasy teams and stuff. So, and that guy just accumulates points, not because he's a really good NFL quarterback. He sucks as an NFL quarterback, but he's a great fantasy quarterback because he accumulates points. You know, so we we all love that in fantasy. But you know, he I just think that guy's an overmatched, and he wore that stupid T-shirt, uh, uh, that dopey shirt, with, uh, something about beating the Cowboys and. It's just that guy has not impressed me at all. I think that guy gets fired after his first year. I swear to God, I really do. So I'm going to go with him. I, I as the first him. one, though, like you think midseason he's gone? No, I don't think midseason. I don't think. Well, that's what I, I mean. Midseason. Think, Who's the first coach yeah. to get fired midseason here? He was in the first honesty, one on the chopping block. In all honesty, I don't think any coach gets fired midseason. I don't think you're going to see it because it's it's very rare. It really is really really is rare. I mean, we could say Matt Nagy, Bears coach, but that's not going to happen with Justin Fields there right now. They're not going to. They're not going to do that right now. They're not going to have that 
sort of a, a sort of upheaval right now. You know, you look at the Packers, the Vikings, the Bears, the Lions. None of them are going to fire their coaches. Bucks, obviously, the Saints know, the Panthers know, the Falcons know, Cardinals know, Rams know, 49ers know, Seahawks know, Pete Carroll's not going to go anywhere. The Bills know, the Patriots know, the Jets know, the Dolphins know, the Ravens, Bengals, uh, 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 Browns, and Steelers know, all knows. Titans know, Colts know, Texans, I, I mean, Cully's just there because he knows why he's there. So Jacksonville, Urban Meyer, unless he quits, I doubt if he gets fired now. If he hadn't get fired by now since that video thing, he's not getting fired. The Chargers, no. The Raiders, already Gruden's gone. The Broncos, Fangio, possibly. But the Broncos are 3-3. Three three. They're competing. And the Chiefs, no. So where, where else are we going? I think I, think I think I was thinking Nagy just because he's terrible, but you made a good point. You don't want that kind of upheaval. You're not going to have that upheaval first year. But I'm making I'm I'm. I the only way he does get stone. fired, Andrew, we could. The only way we can make a point for him getting fired is if they decide that. And I and I told you this today. I, I feel like Justin Fields is not ready to play this NFL game yet. He almost got himself killed the other day. There were guys downfield wide open. They were showing it. He wasn't seeing it. Wasn't seeing the field right. Wasn't reading defenses right. So he, right now he's just overmatched. Um, the offensive line is god-awful. He almost got himself killed, as I said, a couple of times. And, and so unless they replace him with Andy Dalton and just have Dalton play out the rest of the season, maybe Nagy gets fired then at that point, and then you bring in a new coach with a new system for Fields starting next season, then I could understand that. But otherwise, if you're going to continue to have Justin Fields and trot him out there game in and game out, you're not firing Matt Nagy at this point. No way. All right, I'm saying I'm setting this in stone right now. Midseason, Vic Fangio is being fired midseason. I think he's the only coach out of the teams that we just he, went through. He he's, doesn't fall under any of that criteria. He's not on a, on a team that will be competing yeah. at the end of the season, and he's not in his first year, which well, virtually makes the coaches three, untouchable. They, they are three and three. They're not going to fire their coach when they're three and throw. Three well, not right now, defense. but I could see a week in week 13 when they're sitting at four and seven because we overrated them. Everybody, I thought that they could be a sneaky good team. Well, They're not a good football team at all. Let's see what happens tomorrow night. They win tomorrow night. They're four and three. They beat the Browns, and they probably should beat the Browns. I, I would have to think with all those injuries and Mayfield, a, a, a high question, highly questionable to be playing that game tomorrow with an uh, injured. He's been ruled out. Shoulder. He's oh, he, they ruled him out already. They ruled him out this afternoon. Yeah, Case Keenum is playing. Yeah. Oh well, listen, Case Keenum ain't terrible. I'll be honest with you. He's not a terrible back. No, you know, if I added it, my, my fourth pick in our pickup segment was the Browns minus two. I just, just like the other three better than the Browns, but I was still going to go with the Browns. Cause I just, I just have a feeling that they win a sloppy game. I have a feeling that they win a sloppy game tomorrow. I do. Okay. But, so I can oh. see Fangio being fired, but all those other guys, I mean, like you said, some are in their first year, some are on winning teams, you know, some of them have rookie quarterbacks like, you know, Robert Sala, rookie quarterback, first year. He's not going anywhere no matter how much the team stinks. Is there any is there any chance you think Judge goes midseason? You think no? Uh no, I don't think so. I think that I think the I think the I think John Mara loves Joe Judge. Okay. I think he loves Joe. Joe Judge isn't going anywhere right now. He's not. I mean, because be honest with you, Andrew, what are you going to do? You're going to bring another coach. It's not lighting a fire under the team. It's not changing anything. You know what I mean? With the Giants, it's just not. There's just way too many injuries. So. 
All right, so then no one, no one's going, and we might get a, only a few on uh, what do they call it, Black Monday, the day after the season. No yeah, you'll get a few of them. Probably, yeah, you're going to see coaches getting fired after the season. I just don't see many. Like I said, Fangio. Yeah, I, listen, I understand your point there. I get it. I, I, I can get that. But you, you, if the Broncos are going to go three and six, three and seven, firing their coaches isn't going to help them at that point. If they happen to win tomorrow, they'll be four and three. And I think the Broncos, they know, look, they're dealing with Teddy Bridgewater, a quarterback. He's a good quarterback, but he, you know, look, he ain't doing much for you. He's a stopgap. He's, he's, he's a stopgap. He, again, a million times we call him game manager. It's exactly what he is. That's all that he is. So until they get a real quarterback in there that can elevate their offense, and they have some weapons there on offense, not like they're short on weapons. You know, Noah Font, Tim Patrick, Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy be coming back from injury. You know, you got the kid Javante Williams looks terrific. They should, they should, they need to use him more. I'll be honest with you. The days of Melvin Gordon. I mean, God, use that guy as just, you know, a guy that comes in once in a while and gets eight to 10 carries. I think Javante Williams should be getting 20 to 25 touches a game. That kid's that kid, real. He's a beast. He's, uh, he's a real deal. He's a real deal. So we'll see. Right, we'll, we'll see, but yeah, that will uh, that will wrap things up for rapid fire, and in turn, that will wrap things up for episode seventy-eight of Four Score the podcast. So obviously, uh, big week coming up. We'll we'll probably get more clarity as as time goes on. Again, we've been saying that, but um, we'll probably get more clarity on the Mets' search for top executives in their organization as time goes on. Uh, now that the Yankees front office and and coaching staff has pretty much figured out as far as the main guys are concerned, they can get firmly into improving the team this off season. Uh, the Knicks go into the fourth quarter with an 86, 82 lead over the Celtics. So we'll have a, a couple of games to be able to dissect their performance from the next time we record, we'll get another week of Rangers hockey. So more to dive into there. Uh, and obviously week seven of the NFL season coming up, we'll recap all that. We'll preview week eight. We'll do our pick segment. We'll see if my bold strategy of taking a bunch of big, priced overdogs uh, overdog big priced underdogs <laughs> goes over well i couldn't give it that's a tongue twister if my big priced underdogs goes over well we'll see because i need to pick up some space i can't like you said rob you said this about the rangers i can't be digging myself too big of a hole where i can't climb out of it so that'll wrap things oh, don't, up for, don't uh, make picks just for the sake that you're trying to catch up to me there's plenty of time left we got plenty of weeks left here no, 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 no. I'm not. Uh, I'm not downplaying my pay. I'm. You, oh. you saw the kind of confidence that was stewing when I was making those picks. I'm just saying that eventually I need to make some movements here. So I need to. Uh, I need my three pointer to hit. I need my two pointer. I need a week where you go one and two, and you only hit your one point play because I think way too highly of you to think that you'd ever go zero oh, and three. Your football <laughs> acumen is just too high for that to be possible. Uh, you, but I now need a week. Now you're just trying to put the jinx on me. I, I, I just think I need a I week where you go coming. one and two, and the I only thing the you nail Maloikis is your one-point play, and I need to go two and one where I nail my two and my three. And, I, and see I see the Maloikas coming. I see him coming, the Maloikas. I really do. If anyone's got the mush power, it's you. So I see the Maloikas. You're trying to just Maloik me right now. I get I, it. That's all right. All right. Well, I mean, before we wrap this up, do you want to switch your picks? Are you nervous now? Are you getting no, nervous? Not at all. Not no. at all. Okay. All right. Not at all. Just making sure. Just offering no. a helping hand. We're good. We're good. All right. All right. So good. we so will. I got, uh, I got Arizona, the Bengals. 17 and a half for Arizona. Let's go. Latest 17 and a half. 
I what like was the it. Final, what was the final score of that Cleveland game last week? 37-14? 37-14, yeah. Okay. How many points is that? Uh, 23? 23, yeah. You'd yeah. You're correct. Right? Yeah. 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 Right? So, there you go. And that was on the road. Are they yeah. at home this week? They're at home. Yes, Arizona's at home. Okay. Part of the reason why it's 17 and a half. It wasn't probably be 13 and a half, maybe 14, whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, it doesn't even matter much, but... Like I said, fantasy players, DeAndre Hopkins, I don't have to tell anybody to make sure he's in your lineup because if he's not in your lineup, then you're a complete moron. You don't, <laughs> deserve, you don't deserve to be playing fantasy football, to be honest with you. So, you know, he'll be in your lineup, three touchdowns, eight catches, 120 yards. Huge day for DeAndre Hopkins. Big revenge game for him. Not that he really wants revenge on Houston, you know, but still. A lot of new faces there, but still, there'll be a I, I chip think, on his shoulder. I think, I think a lot of times, you know, uh, um, the coaches, the quarterback, they want to make sure DeAndre gets his. They're right, going to make so sure he gets his. Before we call it quits, speaking of fantasy football, you want to talk about the most piss-poor showing of all time in fantasy football history? This is one of my teams over the weekend. So my starting quarterback, my team put up 90 points. Now, this is full-point PPR. With a flex, two wide receivers, two running backs, and a flex, and a tight end. And my team put up 90 points. My starting quarterback is Lamar Jackson. Like you said, Lamar didn't do anything last week. They were controlling the clock with the running game. They had a few defensive turnovers. I mean, I think all three of their running backs, I think, might have had a touchdown each. I think I know Bell had a touchdown. Murray had a touchdown. Did Freeman have a touchdown, too? I think he might have. Yes. Yeah. I think he did. And Mark Andrews had, you know, caught the only touchdown that Lamar Jackson threw. So he only had 13 points. The Bears pretty much held Devontae Adams in check. He only had 12.9. I was forced to start Michael Pittman Jr. as my second wide receiver because Calvin Ridley was on a bye. He only put up 5.8 points. With Damian Williams out with COVID, Mike Davis on a bye, David Montgomery on IR, my starting running backs were Darrell Williams and Naheem Hines. Now, Darrell Williams actually had a good game. He was my top point getter on the week. He had 23 points. But Naheem Hines caught one pass out of the backfield, had 3.2 points. Darren Waller has not really been great. He, he's been decent. He's given you four to five catches, 50 to 60 yards, not getting into the end zone, nothing special. He only had 10 points. My flex, because of all those injuries again, Corey Davis on a bye, Calvin Ridley on a bye, David Montgomery on IR. I started Kadarius Tony. I picked him up, started him. Looked like he was coming out with his hair on fire, three catches, 38 yards in the first five plays of the game, then leaves with an injury. So he only ended up with 6.6. Denver's defense got lit up by Oakland. They only got me one. My second highest point getter on the day, Daniel Carlson, greatest kicker. And my team put up 90 points. An embarrassment, an absolute embarrassment. So look for them to bounce back in a big way this week. Because if not, I think major changes are going to be on the way. I'm putting on my, my GM hat and I'm calling for blood. I'm going to pull a Dan Campbell. I was crying last week. If I see another poor showing this week, I'm going to come out and start ripping people. That's the way it's going to go. But that'll do it for episode 78. So, like I said, we'll be back next week to break down all the good stuff as we normally do. And Knicks are up by eight now. So, really starting to build momentum. Madison Square Garden is nice and loud. So, good atmosphere. Uh, I tell you, when the Knicks are winning, it rocks the God. Oh, it's unreal. unreal. That, That game, too, against the Atlanta Hawks in the playoffs last year was just unbelievable. I mean, I'm not a Knicks fan, but I was locked into that whole entire game. I'm jumping for joy in my room. Like, that, that game was just so entertaining from beginning to end. The atmosphere was unreal. So, when the Knicks are good, the city is buzzing. That's for sure. 
Um, so we'll be back, back next week and we'll pick up where we left off as we always do. So you can follow Rob on his social media, robog 6 R-O-B-B-O-G-6. You can follow me on my Twitter, Andrew May underscore 21. Follow us on our show, Twitter, Four Score the Pod. And um, we'll be right back after next week for episode 79. So thank you everyone for continuing to listen and continuing to support. For Rob Giuffre, I'm Andrew May. See you guys next time.